Welcome to As the Wheel of Time Turns, where we unravel the weavings of Amazon's Wheel of Time. Uh, this is a review podcast uh, where we do a week-by-week watch of the Wheel of Time and give you our thoughts and feelings about it. Um, I am your Nibelist VJ, and I'm joined by some of my chosen co-hosts. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to get into the second episode with y'all. Lee? Great. Yep. Happy to be here. And Bree. Hey, y'all. All right, well, we have some segments. Um, we start out with a recap of all the heavy lifting that is done by Lee. Then we have Tavern of the Week, which is sort of the most interesting character in our opinion. We each give our nominations and then Brie makes a decision. Gleeman's Corner, where we talk about our, our favorite scenes and best quotes. I make a decision about that. And then we have a little corner um, that we will uh, see. We might address a little bit as the uh, recap goes, but where uh, Lee does a little theorizing about what he thinks going on. And then we have uh, Dragon Power Rankings, where we look at our four possibilities for Dragon, and Lee decides which one he's leaning towards. Who this is the Dragon Reborn? <laughs> um, and so that uh, rounds out the uh, first part of our episode, which is going to be spoiler-free. It's just going to cover what is shown in the TV show, with maybe minor things from the good books that, that really aren't spoilers. Then we'll have our second half, which is a little bit more book heavy comparing the TV show and the book. And I get out for that episode, that, that segment. I don't want to spoil anything. Remain for untainted. That's right, unsullied over here. Yes. All right, um, let's get into it. Uh, starting on the recap of uh, the second episode of Wheel of Time. Thanks, BJ. All right, so if you're enjoying this podcast, it's a Mangum Talks podcast. Go to any podcast platform, heck, the one you're listening to right now. Type in Mangum Talks, that's M-A-N-G-U-M Talks. Those are the two key words, and all of our content will pop up. We do a lot of television review podcasts. We do this one, obviously. We do Game of Thrones, Succession, Mandalorian, on and on. We have a lot of content, content for days. So if you're enjoying this podcast, check out our other stuff. And you can always go to MangumTalks.com to see whatever we're up to. So that's the housekeeping. I think we're ready to jump in the recap. You guys ready? Let's do it. I'm so all right. ready. Wheel of Time, episode two. This one's titled Shadows Waiting. So we get a recap of episode one and it was a heavy focus on getting the hell out of two rivers i don't know if you guys noticed that it was a lot of and this like plays into my uh if you listen to episode one one of the predictions i had is that we're going to get like basically an adventure now mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. this is all about like we are on traveling the we're yeah. on the road the this is journey show yeah yeah so that, i think the recap is kind of hinting at that and then of course we get a lot of the big fight with the trollocs because that's where a lot of the budget went so here's the recap we start it's daytime and we see people dressed in white and white tents we see a small kid with what looks like a tagine pie that's a tagine pie right BJ it's a 100% that's a tagine pie pie. absolutely and we see a guy who's clearly at the head of some table and he says uh, and and this is what the kid says from the Lord Captain for your victory today so he's speaking to someone off camera and there's this dish laid in front of this guy um Whole bird? We look in that. Is that a whole deep fried bird? Is this a this a county Pretty fair much. situation? They just yeah. deep fried the whole it's thing. A, yeah, mm-hmm. I think yep. you know everything. It, it's uh, everything a but the feathers. Smaller, uh, so maybe like you know baby bird, That's a pigeon tough. or mm-hmm. Cornish game hen, something like that. A quail. Size. Yeah, I mean, quail. they do yeah, eat quail, quail eggs. Yeah, so. quail's about the right size. So we do yeah. another review podcast on Mangum Talks called Line of Succession, where we review the television <clears throat> show Succession on HBO. And in season two, I believe it is, maybe season one, Tom takes Greg to a very upper crust Manhattan restaurant. And they get an off-dish menu, which is a baby bird, whole baby bird, deep fried. 
and they eat it. So this is like a real thing. People eat real like whole birds. Oh yeah. God. I'm not quite sure they do it the way this guy did. <laughs> because this guy focuses on the fact that like the bones are supposed to cut your mouth or something. But just a little. Just not like. so much that it hurts, which I think is absolute BS because yeah. a little cut in, in your, your mouth. mouth Hurts everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So what is this dude's <laughs> level of, you know... But I think it's being... It's taking from something in the real world, yeah. which is like this... And, and, I, and, and <clears throat> Succession, like, played it as this is now an illegal dish. Like, you're not supposed to really yeah. eat this. So anyway, he's eating this whole bird. And we see some woman who is being... Wait, can I well, just, yeah. One of the things that I really loved about this opening scene mm-hmm. that was... That just upped the creep factor of this guy is that you don't... When he appears center of the screen and starts talking Mm. it feels like he is talking directly to you as the viewer yeah you don't know where what he's looking at who he's talking to it like you feel called out absolutely in the moment as a viewer and like it is deeply uncomfortable yeah like you do not want to be in the center of that gaze yeah like please please turn the camera somewhere else and you can see that he has like a little bit of blood trickling Mm -hmm. out of his mouth like when when he's starting to say that which Which, i feel like is a good mm -hmm. yeah and the first time i saw that saw the blood at the side of the mouth i was like um excuse me that bird is cooked that should not be happening and then i was like oh (laughs) oh this is your blood oh That's real creepy. Yeah, it's pretty strange. And, I, you know, one thing I like about this opening sequence, I'll give it a recap in a second, is that they start to give us more, right? I mm-hmm. talked about in, mm-hmm. in episode one that it was, there was, they were giving you a sliver of this world to get you hooked. Hey, like, here's some characters and spend some time with them so you get to know them. They're starting to expand that in this scene. So we look at what this guy's looking at, which is a woman at the stake being burned. Now, it's kind of strange for me to say this, but the fact that it's a woman being burned at the stake is not the most disturbing part of this to me. The most disturbing part is that he cut her hands off. Yeah. That is strange. And he takes from, as he's doing this like sort of like creepy guy monologue to the person he's about to kill, <laughs> he takes from the severed hand the ring. So it's the same looking ring that Moraine yeah. has. Mm-hmm. So we can infer that this is nice to die, that he is killed. And I'm going to guess that the hands get cut off so that he she can't do the magic. That's my guess. That's they seem to be implying too. that. Yeah. Um, this isn't something that we have more knowledge about. Like mm-hmm. that. That's our guess. Um, and one of the things that I do want to point out, um, and I think it'll help maybe everybody else as they're watching, is that there are color schemes to pay attention to. So she was wearing all yellow. Okay. And she had a yellow ring. So those match, and that's something that you're gonna see as we progress in the TV show. Like the the really first scene where the women were all in red, mm-hmm. that's a thing. Pay attention to. And Moraine wears blue and has a blue yep. ring. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. That's a good thing to point out for sure. So he sits down and he basically is given her this monologue about what he's eating and how great it is and stuff as he watches her start to burn to death with the hands cut off. And he puts the ring onto basically like a little like keychain thing that he's got with a mm-hmm. bunch of other rings. Yeah. So yeah. the implication there is that he's hunting the Aes Sedai and he's caught a lot of them because mm-hmm. he's got a lot of rings. And I actually, I want to, that little thing that he puts the rings on kind of at his belt is so interesting to me because it is reminiscent of... Um, and I, I don't know if this is significant or not. I don't know if this is this particular thing is described in the books or not or, or anything like that. It seems to have been an aesthetic choice that they're making in the show. Mm-hmm. It is very reminiscent to me of something called a Chatelaine, um, which is a, I think it's Victorian, but I think that they also 
were like much older as well. Um, it's a little thing that it's usually for like women who are keeping an inn or a house or something. They wear on their belts and attach all kinds of tools and artifacts and oh, cool. all kinds of things like to it. Fashioned key ring. It, it, yeah. It um, and so it's usually used for like sewing based things. Mm-hmm. Um, but can also have all kinds of stuff in it. It looks very much like that, and I think it's meant to hold sort of tools, which I think is is interesting. I think they are calling back to that in some way, shape, or interesting. form. Interesting. So I think for the, the, the uninitiated, the things to take away from this is that this guy's uniformed, mm-hmm. so he's in part of some sort of group yep. that's hunting the Aes Sedai, or at least kills them when he can come across them, and he's pretty happy about doing so, and it seems like he's killed a lot of them. Yeah, um, he's pretty and he's, good at and, his job. And he's killed them and is not shy about telling you he's killed them, right? Yes. He doesn't hide the rings. He actually puts them on display. Yeah, yeah. So there's some confidence he's there. Pr- proud. Yeah. He's proud of that. So the other thing that I thought was really cool, and, and I don't know if you're going to get to this, the blood on his hands. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had that with the goblet that he was holding and then wiping his hands on the stark white napkin, that mm-hmm. really cool contrast. Yep. And then sort of how the scene fades where it uses the reflection in the goblet to show like the end of, yeah. of the, the burning scene. That was really yeah. cool. I only saw that on the second watch and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And if you think the Aes Sedai are superheroes, uh, they're not. I mean, they might be superheroes, but they're not infallible and they're they're very much killable because uh he does cut her hands off she seemingly can't do the super magic that we saw moraine doing and she does die Uh, she does get burned to death and are we meant i understood this way but are we meant to believe that you know when the kid brings the dish at the very beginning and says you know from the lord captain for your victory today that that is the capturing of the Aes Sedai are those directly linked that's my understanding well yeah he's the questioner right so yeah yeah, he that that was he's he made it very clear he is not part of the militia so the only victory he would have he has a higher calling Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah later in the episode but I I think at this point it's not necessarily that's true completely clear that yeah. she is the victory right right um, but yeah we watched right. it i think i think we i think we can infer that okay. Right? okay um then we got to the opening sequence i talked about the last episode we didn't get an opening sequence we've got one an opening sequence with music and everything i love opening sequences of shows i geek out about them probably because of my love of game of thrones westworld both are really solid i want to go round robin on what we thought of the opening sequence i'll start with brie So I would say that the opening sequence was not what I expected, but it is absolutely gorgeous. And I absolutely love sort of the the threads diving in and out of the pattern and then the looms making the pattern um, and the different colors of the women. And it really emphasizes that this season is about the Asadai and their role in this world. And so I think that's a, it's just very beautiful to me. Okay, BJ? I like it. There were other things that I was hoping that they were going to do with it and make it uh, touch on other things that I think are important to the show. Um, But I think it's really interesting what they did in terms of representing um, caricatures of Aes Sedai, not particular people or anything like that, Mm -hmm. and then really capturing like the weaving aspect that's hopefully going to be throughout the the show. Sarah, what did you think of the weaving? I loved it. Um, you all know, my co-hosts here know that like my second life is, um, as a, as a fiber artist and I've thought a lot about sort of weaving and particularly the metaphors that, that come along with fabric making and fabric manipulation. In fact, I built a whole PhD on it. So may or may not have been your thesis. Here we are. (laughs) Um, but what 
there were a, a bunch of different things that I thought were, were super cool and interesting about it. One of which was I just, I loved the way that they depicted the weaving. I thought that that was super interesting. The stylized um, threads moving in and out of each other. The focus on like the real loom it, itself was, was very, um, very interesting to me when they were doing the gold going through um, to start to build patterns before you even really knew what was going on with the opening. They did that. That's a method called shot is shot through. So when you say like, oh, that um, that show was shot through with satire, that's actually a metaphor based on like fabric manipulation. Oh. Um, so all of that kind of stuff, I think, was really interesting. I thought it was beautiful. I loved the thread breaking at the beginning. Um, I also thought that it was a subtle nod from the showmakers at the the what has been a question in my mind and a real sticking point <laughs> for me since I began reading the books and in less so in the show, but because I think they're trying to move away from it. The wheel weaves as the wheel will. Wheels don't weave. There is there is no way in the world that weaving happens through a wheel. That is simply not how weaving is done. That's not how weaving is done. Um, Always been very frustrating to me. Fabric of time, Sarah. Fabric of time. Well, that actually doesn't bother me, except the way that you are very clearly saying that with disdain in your voice. No, but, I'm not. I think that's what they mean, right? No, it, it is. And so, like, on the one hand, the show and, and the books are so interesting and precise about the way that they use, um, like, fabric and weaving metaphors and even spinning and knitting metaphors, like, any type of sort of string-based metaphor... Yeah. To talk about memory and storytelling, they were very, very precise and um, I think correct in how they're doing that. It's just this weaving wheel that has really gotten stuck in my craw. Okay, so that's fair. I'm yeah. done with it, but wheels, I love it. Wheels don't weave. She likes the intro. I'll tell you what I think. So the <laughs> intro to me is more like the Westworld intro than it is like, say, Game of Thrones yes. or Succession, in that it is a beautiful deconstruction of something and mm -hmm. great music and it looks like money being lit on fire. God knows how much it's <laughs> But it's probably like an obscene amount of money. But it doesn't necessarily tell you anything about the story in the way that like right. Game of Thrones tells you about the map of the story mm -hmm. and Succession tells you the history of the family mm -hmm. in the opening of Succession. Mm -hmm. So that's my thoughts on it. But I solid B+. I yeah. mean, it's a good intro. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see where it's going to go maybe in this season or next seasons because I think that there are so many things that they can do with it that that are important uh, to the series itself. And so, you know, I think as you're saying that it, it costs a lot of money and I don't remember this for Game of Thrones, whether they did a lot in just the opening sequence in the first season or that was like a major thing later on. And if... You mean changing it? Yeah. Yeah, they changed it in season one. Okay. So... So, I mean, there are an infinite number of patterns. Yes. Yeah, that could be that could be a good thing. I, I actually <laughs> really like the idea of, like, the beginning always stays the same, and it is always around this framework of yeah, that could be cool. doing the weaving, but maybe what comes out of it towards it's the end different. of the sequence is mm -hmm. right. different. That would be really neat. For sure. So we cut to our riders, and they are riding. And it looks like they ride through the night, and they arrive... Uh, somewhere and land it looks like they arrive like kind of at a house or almost like a river type thing and Moraine tells them that the town is just up there but this rather large river is in front of them. Moraine explains that the only thing the Trollocs fear is deep water so um, the others I, I, there's a lot of parallels <laughs> and so they need to cross this river now there's a house there and a barge is connected to the dock clearly run by this house mm -hmm. 
And the guy is out in front of the house, this older guy, and great line from the guy when they come across him. Well, you've woken me. <laughs> well, yep. you've woken me then. Um, she tells him, look, we need to pass. We've got to get out of here. He's like, well, my son will be back in a minute. I don't really do the work here. And she's like, no, have I not made myself clear? We got to go now. They flash some money at him. The guy, great line. I think yep. speaking for all characters in this universe to Moraine, you're not the type of woman that hears no often, Moraine. Very quickly, I am not. <laughs> get a bet, get a move on. So they go, <clears throat> they go off on this barge, and they're about midway through when they see the trollocs show up. We were the, the 300 number that land throughout is at least that's a conservative number. Maybe mm-hmm. this is a large number of trollocs that have mm-hmm. shown up. I wonder if they're on foot. I don't ever see a trollic riding a horse, no, right? Not a thing. Okay, yeah. So they're on foot. That's kind of important though, because they do run and they seem fast, but they're probably not faster than horses, are they? Probably not. I, I, th- I think well, that might be so an advantage. Actually, our, our I think has. they are. There is a, a later scene. I don't think this is a spoiler where they're being chased by trollocs because there's a lot of chasing of, with trollocs, <laughs> but the trollocs are catching up to them. Mm. And part of that is that I think the trollocs have more stamina, just like long term, than the horses do, so they're mm. able to continue running. Yeah. Well, they also have something very specific kind of pushing them yes. forward. True, so like yes. That. And so I would say like probably it's like the marathon versus sprint kind of thing where, you know, unless something is like really pushing the trollocs, they'll they're they're not gonna catch up immediately, but they'll eventually catch up. Okay. So it, it maybe it's just unclear yeah. to the viewer if our our characters on horses are faster or not faster than trollocs. It's not right. clear. And I think it's supposed to be that like very stressful back and forth. Can yeah. they make it, can they not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a bunch of them. They're on foot. One of them gets knocked over into the water, and it's clear he can't swim. So we get that like sort of test mm-hmm. case. Yeah. He gets knocked over in the water, does sink. Quick question here. Um, we, we, we had a, a definite reaction of, oh, the poor Trelloc. Oh, and, well, okay. So, so the thing is, is when he goes over, not only do his fellows not help him, which is not surprising because they're Trollocs, but also he does these horrible, screechy, pitiful noises that just make you go, oh, oh, Did, no. Did not make me go. Oh, okay. I thought one less two ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> one less, uh, but it, it is a like you know it, we do get the experiment. The trollic yeah. cannot mm-hmm. swim if it gets in deep water. Immediately it will down. sink pretty yeah, yeah. quickly. Mm-hmm. The um, then we see the eyeless show up and get slowly galloping up in the horse, and he lets out a wild scream. And it seems like the eyeless has like six row of teeth. It's At like least. A, it's, that's a conservative endless like rose. Yeah, lot oh. of teeth for the eyeless, mm-hmm. and they're sharp. Uh, I will say, uh, really hard for me to not draw the parallel to the hard home episode of Game of Thrones. Like it, it is almost beat for beat the same thing, where mm-hmm. the the characters are in a boat slash barge, slowly drifting away from these monsters that cannot swim, and then yep. the purported leader of the monster slowly gallops in on a horse and looks at them. It is really close to that scene. It worked for me, but I just mm-hmm. want to point it out. Yep. Mm-hmm. The guy who took them across starts asking where they are, uh, and she explains like uh, they can't get the, or what they are, and she explains they can't get in deep water. He says, "We got to go back to get my son." Question for the group, uh, serious group: What the fuck's this guy's deal? Is he that stupid? He's like, "I got to go back." What are you gonna do? I mean, he's pretty dumb in the books too. He yeah. is real dumb. Yeah. Because he's like, "We got to go back," and he's she calmly explains, "Well, we can't go back, obviously." And he's like, my son is coming. I got to go, like, get him? What, what are you going to do? What do you think yeah, is going to happen? What, what, like, what, what are you right. in like, here? This is clearly evil. I, like, I, 
He's real stupid. I don't think he was thinking it through, but I think he was thinking that if he made it to the other side, somehow he would be able to warn or save his son in some way Mm -hmm. and avoid the tragedy that he clearly sees coming. Yeah, and you can also sort of see this as like a, he is 100% out of his depth and he is fixating on the one thing that like he can focus on. He's about to be real in his depth. Yeah. (laughs) Damn. Yeah, it's true because he's like, well, I got to go back and Land Land cuts the line. Mm -hmm. Why? Because Land and Marin, they're right there all together. (laughs) And Lorraine's like, look, sorry, you can't do that. If we let you go across, we give them a way to come back to us. So it's not going to happen for you. And he's like, "Uh, well, I have to. It's my son. And she... Spinny motion with her hands <laughs> and spins the barge with the the Aes Sedai one power thing, and it starts to spin. And this guy uh, looks at her, and I thought this line was really important because it tells us something about the opening scene, and it tells us what a lot of characters in this world thinks. He says, "The white cloaks were right. You Aes Sedai, you're monsters." So. White Cloaks, I, th- I think, is a callback to the first scene. Mm-hmm. You um, are right. Yep. And they are waging at least a, while they're doing a physical war with the Aes Sedai, because we see them killing one of them, mm-hmm. there seems to be a PR battle going on, too, of saying yes. that they're, they're, they're evil. Mm-hmm. And also, I thought it was important that no one tells this guy that Marine's Aes Sedai. He figures that out when she does the spinny thing with her hand. So there is some knowledge that, like, whatever that thing is, people know about that thing and they know to look for it and to equate it with the Aes Sedai. I think he also knew, too, when they were given, bribing him to go over, she did flash a ring yes. at him. Yeah. And, and so, I did, so, so I the think, ring, so too. The ring but too, it's also interesting sure. then Great that the point. ring is known. Because right. I don't know that we knew as viewers that like the except except for the white cloak, but like nobody in Two Rivers really focused on the ring in the same way. I think right? there were hints. I think like when um, uh, Marin Alvere, the yes. uh, innkeeper's wife, like mm. does a quick flash down and sees the ring I on see. her finger. Like there there were subtle hints that if you know what to look for mm-hmm. and know that that's already a thing from the books, like it's easier to pick up. But I think that here and then we'll get to it later in the episode it makes it very clear that like this is identifying yep so all of that the barge starts to spin in a cyclone so she's controlling the water here Mm -hmm. the water is spinning the cyclone Mm -hmm. the barge going down with it he goes out there to it hangs onto it as it goes down boom he's gone dead so i'll tell you in this scene one thing that really uh, sorry to nitpick they were not far enough away. The bank wasn't, that, that was not a wide enough river to take swimming out of the equation. How was he able to swim to the barge and not think he could swim all the way across? He's like, I need the barge to get across. I have to, right? Like, I can't get across without this for my son. And she's like, no. And she sends the barge out seemingly halfway between, and he easily swims to it. Ah, pretty sure he could just swim across. Anyway, small point. Fair point. I mean, yeah. so the, the one thing that I would say that I think is a little bit more in the books is that it's a fast-moving river. And so sometimes even on fast-moving rivers towards the edges, it won't be anywhere near as fast until you get to the center. And so that might have... That'd be the only, like, this is a sort of feasible thing, but not really. I think that they probably shortened... Yeah, they did absolutely. They made the river a lot shorter because uh, so they could get the shots of both sides, where it really needs to be a lot lot, 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 flatter. And it is in the books. I think it's a much bigger... Yeah. Right. Cut to the next day. We get a shot of them riding a horse, and I gotta say, the shots in this scene, this episode, are beautiful. They yes. did a lot of on-site uh, rec- uh, uh, filming of this, obviously, and we get really big landscapes, a lot mm-hmm. of drone shots, and big, lush green areas. Mm-hmm. 
thought it was really great. Land mm-hmm. continually seems to either ride ahead or behind them. He's like a scout kind of for this, yes. this yep. party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we see him come back and he says, we've lost them, presumably talking about the trucks. She tells them, well, we need to rest. We need to be careful. I thought it was an interesting quote here from Moraine, quote, there are things more dangerous than Trollocs in this world. So yep. listeners, be, listeners, <laughs> put that in your hat uh, because that's, I think that's probably important uh, mm-hmm. because I, at this point, I don't know that, right? Which well, that, yeah. that was a, sorry. That was a very cool, like, it kept tickling at me what that quote reminds me of. And it reminds me of Gandalf when they were in the cave. Yes. In the mine, excuse That's me. That's a great callback. And yeah. he's, you know, he says something like, you know, it, there are more yeah. things yep. in yeah. the depth. It's interesting that you more call back to that specifically because, and we'll get there in this episode, but when they go to um, Shadar Lagoth, that whole thing reminds me of Moria so like so much yeah um and I think that that is those are meant supposed to be, to be. parallels mm-hmm. to each other BJ um so I would say you've seen one other thing that isn't a Trolloc that definitely ticks I think everybody's like scary meter which is uh the mirror draw the eyeless the fade um there is a problem that right now they seem to be f- moving one way in, in the tv show which is eyeless um it has like 20 different names in the books which Half is not man. really really mm-hmm. helpful um let's call but, it eyeless for purposes yeah, so, of this so, until they unless they do something yeah okay um, so presumably they'll introduce i mean they else. do say fade yeah i think yeah. they do say fade and um but anyway fade yeah yeah interesting okay um, i didn't guess that word th- there are going to be really hopefully cool things that they end up doing with them uh for that but um i think the way she said it makes it seem like she knows what those things are and mm-hmm. it's like no there's even more yeah okay yeah as they rest just a little scientific observation here it appears to me that moraine goes around and takes the one power and gives the horses i don't know a key bump of it mm-hmm. yes a little, little quick quick yeah, shot line, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what happened for, for them yep. uh so land doesn't seem to approve this he says you need your energy and he actually moves a like a almost like a rope they'd put up for the mm-hmm. horses indicating for her to to come across to stop doing that. Yeah. I don't think he can it doesn't seem to me that he can give her orders it seems he can give her suggestions. This mm-hmm. seems to be a suggestion. The kids are sitting around and Egwene uh says she needs she saw uh Nynaeve. Nynaeve. How did I forget that between two episodes? <laughs> Nynaeve get taken. She explains that Chalk picked her up and took her away. Rand real peak douche in this scene <laughs> says they need a plan because what happens if Moraine does to us what she did to the ferryman Egwene asks uh, what if she's right basically like what if one of us are the dragon this is getting what you were talking about mm-hmm. Brie about her uh, being um what is the word? Wanting to move up. Ambitious. Ambitious. Yeah. 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 Wanting to be really ambitious mm-hmm. because she's like, well, what if it's true? What if one of us are the, rag- the dragon? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, you know. Uh, then here's the quote. They say the last dragon broke the world. The next will save it. They sit around sort of kicking around what they've heard about the dragon. It's clear that the, this is some lore. I'm yeah. not sure they believe it. I'm not sure yeah. anybody other than a queen thinks one of them might be. Mm-hmm. But they are just sort of talking about what they know. Moraine creeps up as she does multiple times this episode <laughs> and tells them, forget what you've heard about the dragon, which is probably a fair thing for them to do about any history they learned in Two Rivers. I don't yeah. think they got a lot of great history. And she says, it's going to be all those things or none of those things. She thought it was an interesting line. And she said, you need your sleep. We leave at first light. Anything about that you want to talk about? I think there's a great little snippet from Matt in that whole interplay mm-hmm. where... Um, 
you know, he said, somebody says, you know, the dragon's supposed to have wings. I haven't seen a feather on any of you. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's cute. Yeah. yeah. That's real cute. Yeah. yeah, that was good. Cut to them sleeping and Moraine walks in. She stands over a queen, basically moves her hand around. It looked like she was doing the one bower. Uh, maybe just to wake her up. That's all I got. Uh, Gween wakes up and follows her out of the cave. And they sit down. Moraine, gotta say, not looking her best. When Moraine walked into yeah. Two Rivers, peak looked great. Yep. Right now, starting to fade a little. Uh, no, yeah. maybe I shouldn't use the word fade. Yeah, no. Starting <laughs> to struggle a little. Yeah, getting a little pale. Um, and I do want to toss in, because this will be important later, that Rand is watching her do this. Yes. Yes. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he does. Wake, um, waking. Yeah. Aguina, yeah. Aguina asks her if she's going to kill them, like they did that ferryman. Moraine asks her what she knows of the three oaths. I think this is some important canon for us to get down. Yep. So Aguina talks about the oaths like I talk about the Constitution. She's <laughs> like, like, well, uh, the second uh, one's about guns, and the third one, <laughs> the first one's about the... And she's like, no, 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 no. I need you to like actually talk about like them word for word. Yeah. Recite them. Quote, to speak no... Uh, she said, words matter. How we use them matter. Sarah? Speak in my language. Words matter. How we use them matters. Absolutely. Continue. Moraine then <laughs> proceeds to recite them. I think I got in here. To speak no word that is not true. That's one. Two, to make no weapon with which one person may kill another. And three, never to use the one power as a weapon except in the last extreme defense of her life or the life of her warder or another eyes to die. These oaths are bound by the one power itself. It's not that we do not break them. It's that we cannot break them. So what she's asserting here is, here's here's three absolute truths that the one power got, sort of governs. And I can't break them if I want to, just right. so you know. Um, so one of the things that if you want to, um, and our listeners want to, if you pay attention to all of the things that Moraine says, there are a lot of cool tidbits that she drops because she only speaks the truth. And mm-hmm. the writers so far have been impeccable about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we get we get the most obvious example of that in a later scene with the with the White Cloaks. But yeah, I think you, something to keep in mind when you're listening yeah. to her is that she can be misleading, but she yes. cannot lie. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So a little world building there. She explains uh, she did not kill the ferryman. He died risking his life to a foolish cause. Could have told you that, Aguin. Like, I, mean, I, I don't know, Aguin. For her not to piece that one together is a little rough. Yeah. She then walks Aguin through the idea that if the ferryman was allowed not to go back, the Trollocs would have killed him, then come across. So it seems like what she's doing with her is a little like Socratic method. Like, what would have happened? Like, you know, like the yeah. thing the law professors Sort of do? teaching. My yeah. problem with this is that it's such an obvious thing that Aguin should have got. Like, I'm starting to question her intellect. I'm like, are you <laughs> fucking kidding me that you need to be walked through? Like, what would have happened if the ferryman went back across with the barge? Like, pretty simple concept here. But I also think that there's a little bit of, you have to think that the Trollocs might have tortured him. Like spin this out a little bit more and so i think she started with like the most obvious things and then like worked a little bit further and and so we get that she's clearly training Egwene to like where you know she thinks that Egwene should be going right and and so like I think that these are going to be good things to hopefully pick up on as we move forward. I think that was the purpose of the scene, is to yeah. show a bonding between the two of them, yep. that there was a teacher-student relationship mm-hmm. forming. Yep. I just think that the, the subject matter was like, eh, maybe could have picked something else. Because, like, Egwene should have figured then. that one out. Exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Uh, Moraine, Moraine explains that her strength will come in part from her Her being Egwene. Your, your strength will come in part from your power, but a lot from your mind. Um, 
the she's like the power inside me and then I love this from Moraine. What do you call it? This skill the wisdoms have to predict the weather. Egwene says it's listening to the wind. So this is just I really love this part of the episode. Basically what what is revealed to the the watcher here is that you have the one power. Moraine understands the one power at like an elite level and basically all throughout this world people who can tap into the one power are sort of creating their own little narratives about like what it is and like how what like why you tap into it and they all have their own little names for it and it's so funny when she's talking to her she's like what's that quaint little like word that you use for it? what is it wisdom or some shit like yeah and she's like basically telling her what you've heard of it there's a lot more and and you know you just don't know it because of where you grew up, uh, and and I'm I'm kind of a elite at level at this thing. Uh, then basically as she's talking about this and she's saying you know this thing that you have listening to the wind right, Aguin finally pushes back and goes I'm not no I'm not an eye to die, and Moraine but you could be, touching the source will come to you whether you want it to or not. Moraine then puts a stone in her hand. Uh, it's clear and opaque like the water of a river. Imagine yourself floating in that river. As the water moves, let it take you. No thoughts. Just let yourself drift. Clear your mind of everything. There are no woods. There's no hunger, no exhaustion. There's only the stone and the sound of rushing water. Egwene like, kind of does it for a while, enough to see that there's something there. And we're also, this kind of harkens back to that scene she had with Nynaeve uh, earlier, which was you get like the sensory sort of perspective mm-hmm. from her. Mm-hmm. You're hearing like, loud noises and stuff that I think is from her first person or maybe from Moraine's. And some stuff, you know, obviously some things are happening around this stone and Egwene kind of looks up and said, I thought I felt something and Moraine says, the first two were mine. The last one was yours and yours alone. You don't listen to the wind, Egwene. It's the wind that listens to you. Potential line of the episode, right? Absolutely. Real strong. Yeah. I also Sarah. want to point out just in this scene, the one thing I can think about is that I really need like Moraine doing this shit on like a meditation app for me. That's what I need. <laughs> you look so at the stone. It's opaque, like the water let of the it, river. Yeah. Let it flow. Let yourself flow to it. Like this is absolutely what I need to follow. Another student teacher moment, and it, it does also illustrate that Egwene can tap into it. Yep. Like, yes. Moraine right, even yes. even validates that and says, right. "The last one this was yours." So so. The, the thing in, in particular is the flashing of the stones. So like the light that you see of the pulses, stone is like the yeah. pulses that are sort of internal to the stone. And so like, and if you watch, you see like two bright ones and then like a, a, a little one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to call back and, and something to just think about is the um, induction that she got into the women's circle okay. in terms of like going with the flow of the river absolutely yeah. yeah yeah definitely mm-hmm. definitely a connection it's the same there. thing yeah mm-hmm. cut to a queen going over ran she lays this is the scene that sarah actually talked about the first episode. she lays next to him <laughs> face up I mean, kind of face to face uh sarah paused real close some bad breath going on there mm. he wakes up and he because he, of the breath <laughs> you know, maybe so she just stop breathing him. on me she shocked oh him God. a lot and he actually says i came out here to be around. alone which yeah. Like, Egwene takes his, like, get, go away. I'm not quite sure Rand meant it that way. I think he was just kind of waking up and talking, but she took it that way, and she took oh, it off. Because I took it very much that way that she, that that Rand was like, I came out here to be alone. Like, I don't I don't want you barging in on me. Like, I already feel you tearing away from me, and I don't, like, I'm trying to deal with that on maybe, my own. Maybe. I think I think it's left pretty, Open. it's left to sure. interpretation for yeah. sure. He does seem to sputter the line out, which is the only reason, I think. And then he seems sort of like, 
torn when she leaves. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But either way, we leave with these two characters at an awkward part. Yeah. I think we're going to get that a lot. Oh, <laughs> two crazy teenage lovebirds. Blah, blah, blah. Not my favorite part of the story. Cut to the fire, and Perrin is watching it. And then he rolls up his pants like, here's a reveal. Pulls up his pants like, and we see that he was injured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did we see the point at which he actually got that injury in the first I was episode? trying to think about it, and I don't think we have. Okay. I don't I mean, think it's terribly important. Yeah. I mean, no, I was just but, trying to, like, part of the reason it's so problematic, is he trolley poisoned as well, or is that just festering? That's my question. Is it trolley poisoned? Okay, it's just festering. Um, okay. I, so I think what we're supposed to take is, A, trolley poison acts really quickly. Yeah. And it's specific to blades. And maybe not all blades, but there are certain blades that have it. So it's not something that's going to come from their bites or their scratches. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was... So very... I was exactly wrong in the first episode when I said it came from their saliva. Yeah, like pretty much. Zombie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Was, oh, see, it was 100% wrong. <laughs> Got yeah. it. Correct. <laughs> um, and so that's why we sort of talked about, like, that it's much more like the Red Viper. Like, there is poison... In the blade. It, the, that is a, it's purposeful. And it's purposeful. Yeah. It's yeah. very purposeful. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't, the, I, the only reason I ask is because, like, A, this is the, this injury is clearly bothering him so much. Yeah. But it also just, like, every time he rolls up his pant leg to look at it, it has the same black look as yeah. the trollic point. Like, they haven't done a good job of, like, visually distinguishing. Because right. I thought it was trollic yeah. poison. And uh, it could you be. Made that I mean, it might be. Me, yeah. it, it might be worth going back to that sequence where he's yeah. fighting and being like, can I identify when right. he gets yeah. hurt but again now I, I recognize that like you know he has not had the same reaction as moraine or right. as, as tam and but it's like three or four days later and i think that there there are possibilities but i think it it really didn't look like it was this black okay like dead flesh kind yeah of all okay. right so let's for the purpose of the podcast assume it's not trollic poison it's just festering okay um a walks over to him he gives her his coat mm. Mm. is there something there i don't know I'm just working out some theories. He asks her if they'll go uh, home again, and she just flatly says, no, I don't think we will. End scene. That's it. <laughs> Nothing more. I don't think we will. I mean, actually. that's yeah. our girl, Egwene. She's mm-hmm. like, all right, cool. We're on a quest. Mm-hmm. I don't know where we're going, we but we're going. ever go back to the Shia? No, I, I don't think we will. Absolutely no interest in this. I'm going to do something better with my life. Yeah. Yeah, she I wants got, to... just got shown I could be an I said I. I am... I got to think about this. Yeah. Well, one yeah. way or the other, this is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I'm starting to work out a theory here. Don't give me any any um, foreshadowing with your faces. I, I think I think Perrin might have like a thing for Aguina. I think there there might be something going on there eventually. Okay, so I'm not going to give you any foreshadowing of that or not, but they I do think that in show they are setting it up because he did have a look for her in the first episode, even yep. when he had he was not acc- for accidentally killed his yeah. wife yet. Like he had a look. I think for so her too. In the wine I think it's setting up. Hmm, interesting. Um, Yep. Cut to Rand waking up, coughing. All right, it's a strange scene. He coughs and coughs. <laughs> Eventually pulling a bat from his throat. Strange. This one was not one that was deep fried that he chewed. No. It was no. just a whole it, bat. This, this is more fresh. Yeah, and ends up being a dream. But there's Except. a bat, dead bat there next to him. And he gets up, freaked out, and he walks over and sees a bunch of dead bats. And runs over and screams at Moraine because again, douche meter high. Did you do this? Did you put this in our dreams? So crazy question to ask someone. Again, showing he does not know the limit of the Aes Sedai power. He doesn't really know what she can do or can't do. So when something bad happens, he just assumes it might have been her. Did you put this in my head? You put this evil in my head? It's kind of, what are you thinking? The only thing I want to say is that in in the sort of that sequence, what is 
seems to be a dream until he wakes up again. He does have like a vision of a figure coming through the woods with yes, burning Burn eyes. Yeah, a black figure with burning eyes. Absolutely. Moraine starts to ask some questions about their dream. They start to explain. She. It appeared to me that she kind of knew where they were going when she st- when they started to explain it, and she kind of cut them off. Like I, I've heard enough. If that ever happens again, you tell me. Dreams matter. It's important. Mm-hmm. Basically, is what she says. Rand starts to freak out, asking her where they're going. She calmly explains, "We're going to this place, that place, eventually the White Tower." Told you this before, kid. <laughs> Starting to lose my fucking patience with you. He asks, "What a man does at the White Tower?" Other than be an errand boy for the Aes Sedai. <laughs> Oof. A little shot at Lan. Yep. Lan, professional that he is, doesn't flinch at this. Doesn't blink. Doesn't give him a second look. Moves right on. Man has a higher purpose. I was very impressed with his non-reaction there to that cheap shot. She tells him uh, to go where he wants then. Uh, he said, why don't I think you'll let me do that? And then she goes, well... Uh, I'm out of patience and I'm out of time. And she gets on her horse and takes off, which I thought was interesting. I, I did kind of assume like Rand that she would like try to like convince him you need to stay or whatever. She basically tells him, all right, do what you want. Now, I can only imagine that people are thinking, hell, I'll, I'm, obviously I'm thinking, does that mean that she has a hunch that Rand is not the last dragon guy? Because like, why would she very quickly tell him, all right, dude, you can stay. Like, she's not telling him all to stay. She's telling him he can stay. Makes me drop him down the power rankings a little bit. That's what okay. I'm saying. Don't need to take your crap. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Matt, funny line here. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you got a reaction out of her. Happy? <laughs> <laughs> Aguin does not like this, and Rand roars at her. One conversation, and you're on her side now. Is this thing guys do. My side, your side. This yeah. sort of yeah. stupid thing, like lying in the sand in the playground. And uh, do you really think she's any better than what's chasing us? Aguin, voice of reason, says, of course I do. She makes the cogent point that the Trollocs killed and butchered everyone they got their hands on, and she's been doing nothing but trying to save them the entire time. I'm not quite sure why Rand needs her to walk him to that point, but he seems to not have put pieced it together. Sometimes he's wool-headed. Yeah. Yeah. Wool-headed tree burner. <laughs> yeah. He is the angstiest of the angsty, too. Yeah, pretty stupid sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she then makes the point, which is, I think this is the first time any of the characters acknowledge it, that Moraine's getting sicker. Yeah. And she's yeah. pale and, and, and yeah. getting frail. Mm-hmm. And it, it, this is the quote. She's been using the one power to keep our strength up at the cost of her own. And she does it even with you being the stubborn bastard that you are. Pretty good. Aguin, if I were her, I'd leave you behind too. He says, you already did. So this, is a, this is a reference to, basically, you made the choice to leave me. Yeah. I know that before that, we even left. I know that's not a, really a choice now, and all the right. dynamics are changed. Yeah. But yeah. I still know that at one point you mm-hmm. said I was your second option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is basically mm-hmm. what he's saying. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anything so, you want to talk about here? I do want to point. There's like a I think a, a fun little well not fun but a, mm-hmm. a neat little scene in there where Egwene is is pointing out to Rand like, hey, you know these monsters already killed Nynaeve and Layla, and right at that moment it. it cuts to Perrin and he's got like a little jaw working and you can see tears in his eyes because mm-hmm. he's internalizing I'm that monster. I'm the monster that killed my wife. Yeah, and it's, it's a good rough. Point. It's yeah. like, oh, mm-hmm. 
that was mm-hmm. unintentional shot to the heart from Egwene. I yeah. think this gets to the point that BJ brought up. That's a that's a that's a good thing to point out because BJ brought up the fact that Robert Jordan, I think, is who wrote the, these books. He's a mm-hmm. Vietnam War veteran. He liked to write about trauma, right? Is that what yep. you said? Mm-hmm. I think that that's what's being instilled here. Is that yeah. parents yeah. has deep trauma from yeah. this incident? He's not told anybody what happens. I don't think we're gonna have him tell and anybody. He's certainly for a not while. gonna yeah. say anything after this. He seems yeah. to feel mm-hmm. guilty. So yeah, a lot going on there with mm-hmm. parent the character. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna pause here and ask a question. Mm-hmm. You guys we're sort of talking that there was some complaints about Perrin on the internet. Mm-hmm. Is that something book related or is it something that we could talk about? Um, I mean, I think we can just tell you. Like, I don't yeah. think it's a, it's not a, a spoiler big spoiler, but like in the book, Perrin is not married yeah. at all. Layla's he, not a character Layla in does books. not exist. He does not kill anyone that mm-hmm. night. Yeah. So... A lot, yeah. So, so, is Moraine a character in the book? <laughs> well, so, so, I, so I think a lot of the things that they're doing, and this is a big change, helps you relate to the characters and do some of the character progression that you would get from being inside their head when they have points of view that you just can't do in a TV show. So, right, the, question, there's a so, lot of like internal monologue that happens in the book that yeah. always looks hokey when it is brought out onto. Yeah, that's a the TV show. Right, yeah. uh, question for you, BJ. You big book reader. You've read this book series multiple times, right? You many, really, many. really enjoy yeah. it. Um, when they introduced the character of Layla, were you like, "Well, she's gonna die soon" because that is not <laughs> in the books? No, um, I actually like. I didn't know what they were gonna do with it. It was sort of a surprise that they introduced her. Sure, and. Um, there, I know that they're going to introduce people that, that aren't otherwise in the books and condense people, so I didn't know what they were doing. Um, I don't, there are people in the two rivers that we haven't seen yet that they will introduce and some that they aren't going to, and so I didn't know if they were just doing some condensation of other people in the two rivers. Right. Yeah. I sort of thought maybe this would be, I was hopeful that maybe it would be his sister or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of a funny thought. Yeah. Well, not the books. She's going to get the axe soon. <laughs> yeah. She's going to be out of here. Matt, getting back to the recap, Matt tells him not to be an ass. Basically, we only have each other, dude. We, we've got to stick together here. Yeah. He says, but you're right about Moraine. She's using us for something. And when that eventually ends, when she gets to the end of that, uh, we're, we're probably out from her, right? She, yeah. she probably won't take care of us anymore or at worst will probably hurt us. But, you know, in the meantime, she does shoot fireballs. So why don't we stay on our good side? Yeah. Which I also think is a pretty darn good point mm-hmm. from yeah. Matt. That, that, yes. that was, that a, was a great good, line. Yeah, mm-hmm. line. Um, I will say, and again, I don't think this is spoiling anything. There was some change in um, like what positions some characters take. Um, a lot of the back and forth between Rand and Matt is flipped in the TV show compared to the books. And I think it's a really, like, it's an interesting choice, like, playing around with some of their characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they, the way they've done it, they have definitive lanes for the characters. Yes. Matt, yeah. mm-hmm. aloof, a little detached, smart-ass, but still smart. Rand, pig-headed, idiot. Archie, you know, from fucking Riverdale. Like, just out of, just, I'm mm-hmm. going to run right at whatever it is and sort of be an idiot about it. Right. Um, that's right. I did drop a Riverdale reference. I do watch the CW <laughs> shout out. Uh, cut to them in the forest and they come upon some white cloaks. I can tell oh, you. So there is one thing. There's one thing okay, that I really want to cover. Um, do it. So they, they go to saddle up and leave and Lan is still there watching them do it. And mm-hmm. so to your point that you were talking about, like, is Maureen actually going to let them do it? Lan is still there making sure that they kept on going. Like, I don't know what would have happened. Or watching them. Well, yeah. Maybe not making sure Right, but he could, 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 it, could Moraine have been telling the truth? I, I, I will leave you behind, but Lan is there making sure that Egwene, it doesn't Matt, happen. 
Perrin go, but fucking Rand could take off. Or, <laughs> and the other side of that truth is, I will let you like stay behind well, he up, won't. In, up until land puts you on a ties you on to the horse <laughs> and, and takes and, you and maybe so i yeah. guess to your point yeah. about like when she's saying things say a true it's thing, always yeah. technically true but you kind of have to like look around it right i yeah. also i almost got a little bit of the sense of danger from land so like i don't think this is how it's supposed to be read but i almost thought it might be a a function of if they make the decision to leave moraine then they need to be killed yeah. and just be done because she can't leave them running around. Moraine can't kill them. But Lan can, and maybe, he absolutely could yeah. have. Maybe he yeah. would have. Uh, we know from the battle sequence in episode one, it would be a oh, knife through blood. Done. Yeah. Be easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, cut to them in the forest. Now, we have a, and Megan talks about a Twitter account. We have like no followers because I've never done anything with the Twitter account ever. It simply exists. I don't, I, I don't really like Twitter, so I've never really used it. So I've never even really asked folks on our pods to check it out. None of our listeners have ever checked it out. I mention it only because this scene was so tense that I felt to need to jump on the Twitter account and tweet about it. Wow. I just needed the world to know that I was, I was very nervous about this scene. <laughs> Uh, okay. Because holy shit, it was tense. Yep. She. I would also like to point out, I didn't know this happened. We were in the same room. Yeah. And I did not know this happened. I just needed the world to know that I felt like this was extremely tense. They come upon some white cloaks, and it's the, it's the white cloaks that we got from yep. the opening scene. Mm-hmm. And she immediately hands her ring to Lan. We know the danger now, right? Mm-hmm. We know they will chop her fucking hands off and burn her alive. We saw that, so we know the stakes, and it creates a lot of tension in the scene. She hands her rings to Lan. She then starts giving instructions to only speak when spoken to. Do not mention the White Tower, the Aes Sedai. You need to be told. Don't do that. (laughs) I'm a lady from a fallen house. You're under my care. So she had that lie teed up, ready to go. Um, I feel like that's almost like a... a It's not a lie, though. That is... Even her telling that story to tell them... We don't know the details of what that means. But that's accurate. But that's true. I just, she is a lady from a fallen true. house. I just feel like it's like, you know, like, uh, yeah. like, you, like it's like a go bag. You know, yeah. you have go bags yeah. in case of She's emergency. Got this She's got that in case oh, of yes. emergency. It's ready to go. Yeah. yeah. I would say that the, the, the go bags of mistruths are even more important when you can't lie on the spot. Right. Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's important because mm-hmm. you got these hand cutting fuckers running around and this yes. is, this yeah, is serious. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, they dismount their horses because we are introduced to a different character, the White Cloaks. This is, seems to be some sort of like general or captain or somebody leading this group. It is I the Lord Captain. The Lord Captain. Yeah. He's the guy referenced who I guess yes. sends yes. over yes. the whole herd yep. or whatever. He seems to be in charge. However, the guy that we got introduced to, and I would like to point out the difference, the guy who's the Lord Captain has a gold like metal thing on his mm-hmm. shoulder the guy who we were introduced to, who I guess is a questioner, mm-hmm. has silver. And There's another way to differentiate the two. I like that they took that attention to detail. It's not just the two of them either. You can see in the background, there are two all groups. of the other white cloaks have the gold on them. There are some other questioners yeah. there, but like really when you're looking in the background, all you see is the, right. the gold and, and the white. So not everybody has, I think it might be a pauldron, but, right. but, but there like are that, that shoulder piece. Gold like especially, yeah. It's called a pauldron? I think it might be. Don't don't quote me on that. Okay, but all right. I was anyway. going to call it the right um, thing, but. Um, and so I think this is like a once you get to a higher level, you get this piece of armor mm-hmm. um, that's sort of like showing rank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, so 
basically the Lord Captain has some questions for them. And Moraine knocks it out of the park. A plus performance. Mm -hmm. Bang, bang, bang. You got any more questions? Bring them on. Crushes it. He's ready to let him go. And the questioner steps up and says, I've got some questions. And so I get from the dynamic between the two of these that while the Lord Captain is in charge, he has to, he, like this questioner has some power that's sort of separate from the captain. Like yes. if, if he tells the captain, I've got to gotta talk to this person, the captain kind of has to let him do it. That's mm -hmm. the dynamic I got from yeah. this. Scene. Yeah, and, and so I would like liken this to, there are a lot of like police type shows where you have like, or FBI shows where you have like the people in the FBI and then somebody from like the CIA wanders in and like doesn't really matter what their rank is and it's like all right well I guess we need to let this dude do his thing or this person do his thing like police captain investigator sort of deal where the investigator can come in and say well you have to clear the scene yeah like, exactly you, know, you have some like power around that right. thing I mean and, and like you know technically in terms of like their absolute rank like unclear whether this dude is but like clearly lower at Clearly some low. point yeah but has like this sort of purview over what this yeah. is also a sort of like just a, a different um a different branch of the org chart is coming yeah, down exactly. on the yeah. side yeah and so the other thing that i thought was interesting is um what keyed him into this is um and i think this is valda is the questioner he jangles the ranks yes mm -hmm. yeah and mm -hmm. that was like a all right, oh, all right. I'm okay. gonna take over mm -hmm. here. This is this yeah. is this is my my mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, because the captain seems to first off believe their story, mm -hmm. and second want to treat them well. Because yeah. when the questioner jangles the rings, he says, "My guy's gonna ask you some questions here, but he's gonna be brief." He mm -hmm. says, but he's saying it more to the questioner than yeah. to her. Basically, like, come on, man, like, don't bother these people, right? Yeah. Now. I find it interesting what the guy does because he starts to ask the questioner. He starts to ask them questions, uh, and they have teed up answers. They being Moraine and Lan, but he also seems to feel at liberty to just touch all over yes. Moraine yeah, as much as he. It's he very discomforting. Touching yeah. her and rubbing her, and he's pulling her hand out. It looks like he's maybe looking for like a trace of a ring, mm -hmm. maybe a tan line, something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how she got around the tan. Maybe she's just moving the ring around. I don't know. That that kind of scared yeah, me because I, I kind of thought like, oh shit, she'll have a tan line from a ring. Seems like maybe she didn't. But anyway, he's going around rubbing her. Lan, I thought, plays this well. He exhibits an appropriate amount of anger that someone's doing that to his girlfriend or wife or whatever, yeah. but not an amount that would cause a scene. He basically right. just says, I'm from the Midlands or whatever, where people know to keep their hands to their self. Well, I don't yeah. know where his face he was from, but I think it was a lie anyway. But he said, "I'm people need where people keep their hands to their self. And, you know, just sort of, that's like, I don't think he was really trying to get the questioner to stop touching her. Mm -hmm. I think he was trying to play the part of someone who would be a little frustrated someone's doing yeah. that to their wife. I, I right. think that there's yeah. there are a couple of undercurrents here that I think that he wasn't really, but also kind of was in a way of like, if Moraine had done anything differently, he would have chopped that dude's hands off, like, immediately. Oh, for and, sure. And so, yeah. so I think, to me, that was a, he's playing that line, but also being like, how are we playing this? Mm -hmm. So is it known in this world that the Aes Sedai always have a guy like Lan? Did, 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 the, quest, did the questioner know that? I don't know if the Sweet. questioner knows that. I would bet that the captain does. Because it would seem to me I that if you were... the questioner would know as well. I would look at... The, the thing that would be suspicious to me is Lan. 
I would be right. like, why do you have this guy with you that's fucking to armed to the tilt, ready to go, right. who's cut? Mm-hmm. Like, that seems to fit the part of the person who has to be Right. Present. And so, so, what I will say is, uh, Asa died don't always yeah. have uh, a war. There we go. Yeah. It, it that is, is bond, important. It is a thing. That's um, important. I, I don't think it's a spoiler. And what I will point to is the first scene in the first episode. Yeah. You didn't see any. With the red dressed, no, they didn't. Yes, so, with them. yeah, the other, the other thing with that is there is a part in the books, and again, I don't think this is spoilerly that the white cloaks tend to try to go after as I that don't have warders. Yeah, I can see why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for too. good reason, yeah. right? Absolutely. Well, yeah, how many of them um, don't have that dude? And so, and I think there, the people accept that everybody knows the three O's, and so. I mean, I, and and Moraine, by extension, has the Len isn't bound by these. Like her warder is not bound by these three O's, and mm-hmm. so you might not want to tangle with the dude that is more than happy to. Which is why all the questions are pretty much being directed to Moraine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it is an interesting, you know, when when Lan's like, you know, well, where I'm from, we don't touch women like that. Basically, mm-hmm. it it also invites a if. Amon is going to be confrontational and wants to start getting in their faces. He can talk to Lan, who can lie blatantly about what's going on. Yes. So but, I don't know if that's maybe a way to yeah. look at that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But this, but this questioner, when he's t- just everything, he, who's the who's the Nazi doctor? Mingle, Mingle. Yeah. Yeah. It, kind of those vibes where it's like he has this like position that's kind of separate from the army, mm-hmm. but he he's in that with his own little he's just been corrupted and has mm-hmm. become like pure evil almost like that's mm-hmm. kind of what i'm getting from that guy mm-hmm. i don't feel like all the white cloaks are that way but i feel like this guy and whatever role he's in has yeah. become really a problem mm-hmm. good grief um <laughs> yeah and so the questioner then says they're saying the white tower dispatched eight sisters to deal with uh logan's army mm-hmm. yeah uh to the south they can't help but get their fingers in other people's business and those usually, uh, those others usually end up dead. Little PR. Hey, if the if they, I said I come around, you end up dead. As he's saying this, he's rubbing her hands, checking her fingers. She explains she has a wound. She uh, he asks what's happened to her, and a brilliant answer here from Moraine. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Like like little <laughs> mountain girl. Like you wouldn't believe it. Oh These big goodness. old things came around, and then she proceeds to. Explain Trollocs. Absolute truth. Absolute truth. The Trollocs came and attacked the village. She then shows them the wound, and he says, uh, Trollocs this far south. This is the the Lord Commander. Trollocs this far south. The Dark One's eyes is upon us. What was the name of the town where you came from? And she says, Terran Ferry, which I guess they were in at one point or something. That's where the ferry was. Yeah, that's where they did the crossing. She says, a lot of people were hurt there. Maybe you could help them. He says, we children... We children, I don't. Maybe this is a name for his group or something. We children yeah. try to steer clear of the Aes Sedai where we can. When you get to Whitebridge, find one. Only one of those women can heal this wound. So, just going to point out here, tough camp, tough job the White Cloaks have because they've got to tell people these Aes Sedai are the worst thing in the world. Wait, wait, hold on. You're sick. Uh, well, you're going to need an Aes Sedai for that. <laughs> That's a pretty tough message to have to get out there. Right, and so I think. The difference that, that some of the difference that you're seeing is between the questioners and the the rest of the white cloaks, where one is a little bit more 
hatred and the other is a little bit more maybe they have other things to focus they don't like them but like the, he does he does say uh, we steer clear of them actually. right mm-hmm. exactly and yeah. so i think you know this is to better define the white cloaks um and where you're getting the two names for them mm-hmm. it's children of the light and white cloaks and so they call themselves children of the light other people call them white cloaks because well they have white cloaks and it's an easy is white cloaks disparaging do they not like that name it's um, a little bit. Okay, I'm yeah, calling maybe it a little time. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was my tweet, by the way. I did say fuck the white cloaks in my tweet. Just so <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, there's one tweet on the Megan Talks Twitter feed. Watch a retweet so succession stuff and then me saying fuck the white cloaks. Nice. Yeah. That's that uh, glorious. Yeah, so I, I just thought this scene was yeah. great. The yeah. tension they created by the or first part of the, the episode and then the way that we established that Moraine cannot lie and the way that she answers the questions, ducking and diving, you know, and jiving here with this questioner, how the questioner then says, um, you know, basically, well, okay, we're going to leave. I'm not, I'm not going to forget your faces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm not going to forget the faces of the people I saw here today. Then the, the Lord commander or whatever, Lord, Lord captain says, uh, Lord captain, right? Okay. Lord captain says, all right, well, she said the trollocs are south. We're going south. And the questioner's like, ah, about that. Um, yeah, we're not going to do that. Uh, we have a higher purpose. So this guy is the worst all the way around because he sucks to the ice to die. He's brutal. He seems to have let power go to his head a little bit. And he's, he's really like, like evil almost in his interactions with the ice to die. But then he's also kind of a jerk if you're like one of the white cloaks. Cause you're like, damn, you won't even like do the hard work. So yeah. this guy sucks all the way around. Yep. Our group continues riding and it's clear that Moraine is not doing well. Uh, Gwen approaches her and tries to call bullshit on the oaths, saying, look, you lied. Marine's like, did I? Tell me. Tell me when I lied. They tick through some of the supposed lies, and they aren't lies at all, just a little misleading. Great quote here, potential line of the episode. We will always tell the truth. It just may not be the truth you think you hear, so listen carefully. And I think that's, hey, listeners, mm-hmm. you know, like everybody watching the show, I think she's telling you what to, what to do yep, when yeah. you're listening to yep. her stuff. Um, and I think one of the reasons that it's such a good line is, this is directly lifted from the books. Um, Great line. It, it doesn't happen to be Moraine who says it in the books. It's in a slightly different context. But like, I think that there are times that directing lift, directly lifting things from the books works really well. And mm-hmm. that works. when they do it, they seem to do it at the right place. Yeah, that was that was strong. And then, you know, we're still getting the writing scenes and stuff. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you, there's some really dope chanting music playing during these writing scenes. Mm-hmm. The music is pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to give it an A plus. It's not like elite tier, but it's pretty good. There's yeah. some there's some good yeah. stuff here, uh, but that stops and the kids start singing a song, um, s- uh, song sing of Mathrin, Manethrin. Ma- sing of Manethrin, weep for the blood of Amon, cry for Manethrin long ago. So uh, Justin, I was a little fly on the wall here for some of the conversations you book people were having. This is something from the books, right? This song. So the song itself is not from the books. Okay. However, the story is and the importance and the meaning that it has for the two river folk is. So did they make the song up for the show? Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. I think so. So every so often. That surprises me. I thought get, that was from the books. You get a lot. So there are a lot of songs and stories and things like that. So there was nothing like this right. Like, there was no specific song that was sing for Manathrin, weep for Manathrin. There was a whole discussion of what Manathrin is and what it means. Mm-hmm. 
and you know Maureen delivers some of it and that has some of the same words but it is not a song right. and and yeah. so wheat for monethrin and things like that do get said but it's not like in this context mm -hmm. so th they are doing really cool things with pulling from the books yeah because i think that making it into a song was such a smart yeah idea because like a it gives a different kind of tone um but also you know b we do get a lot of like how especially in in the next episode and we'll talk talk about that but when we start getting into gleeman and stuff like that we do get like how and and into the travelers as well how important songs are in this world yes. oh yeah that, well, that's large. pretty clear so, like yeah. to have highlighted it here with this song that they don't have any idea what it means but it's a song that they like all right. know and know deeply. I thought that was really And that cool. that was a great moment for Matt when he was like, Yeah, I don't even know who Manethrin <laughs> is. And it's yeah. like, oh, like you you remember so much, but so little. Yeah, it doesn't have yeah. any context around it. Yeah. The yeah. wheels turn too far. Yeah, right. he basically he, yeah, to your point, he says, I have no idea who Manethrin is. Um seems to me that if you're around uh Moraine, and you say, I don't know. She's going to fill it in for you. She's going to let you know. She's going to give you a little history lesson. She's your little so that leader. that's exactly what she says. In the old tongue, Manethrin means mountain home. Used to be the name of the place they now call Two Rivers, so they're home. She tells a story about the army of Manethrin. The Dark One sent his whole force there to kill him. They stood at the mouth of the shallowest river, ready to go, ready to fight. Their neighbors promised aid if they would hold for three days, and they fucking held for three days. Shout out to them. Kind of sounds like the story of North Carolina in the Civil War a little bit. Uh, or the 300, maybe a little 300-ish. Uh, no help came, though, on the third day. But the Manethrin people, you know, they're not going to quit. They kept fighting. But finally, on the 10th day, they knew no help was coming. From the city, Queen Eldrine organized her people to take the children. Uh, but the interesting thing, these people, a lot of them refused to even leave. They just joined the army to continue to fight, which, again, showing the character of these people. On the 13th day, the army of Manethrin was gone. So they fought until the 13th day and they died. Queen Eldrine felt her husband die. Driven by grief, she hurled the one power at the Trolloc army. A hurricane of fire blew across the land. The flames got them, consumed them. But Eldrine had drawn too much from the one power and it burnt her from the inside out. But the children hidden in the mountains had been saved because all of the Trolloc army was gone. And they held the land there. And that's basically what turned into two rivers. There's the story. I thought that it was explained really succinctly. I mean, I was able to pick it up and um, compelling because the actress is really good at what she does. But I also think it's pretty cool in canon how she's like, you guys need to know this because this is your history. And she actually tells them, like, you have the, the old blood in you. Like, mm -hmm. And it's this, this history is important for mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And I think that there are two important things that are adjacent to this. One... Um, is they don't mention it but the the king is her warder um and so like that dynamic between them like probably will you know will definitely get reinforced more through the show but like, that's going to confuse the, the the watcher though because we're going to be like wait a second if it's that's her warder is is land and her like romantically involved because i was a king and queen oh right. interesting i didn't um, think about that but yeah so uh yeah. In, in any it, case. In, in any case. Um, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So, but the other thing that I think one of the reasons that she told all of the parts is that you can draw enough of the one power yes. to kill yourself. Absolutely. You have to be careful. And, yeah, for sure. and so this is like a little bit of a warning to uh, Egwene that like, hey, like this is a thing. You can do great things, but like 
you can kill yourself. You can kill yourself. Like there, there is cost to this. It's not unlimited, and you know, just be aware of what what's going on. Yeah, it's a, it's a good cautionary tale for her for sure. It, mixed in with the history of her people, which is good mm-hmm. for them all to know. And I also think it was like it tracks with what we saw, right? It did not look like it was free power when yeah. when Moraine was exactly. right. It yeah. certainly didn't look mm-hmm. like that at all. Um, and so one of a couple of the other things that you we sort of pick up is a lot of the places that they camp you can are in ruins. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. this is sort of reinforcing that this was a a land that other things were in mm-hmm. a long time ago. And then we get when we get to Shadow Lagoth later in the episode. And it also ties back into this story as well. Yes. Like I think that that's a very all of that happening in the same episode is very neat yes. and useful to yeah. the viewer too. Yeah. So yeah. I will say, like I usually, I I'm not always a, a fan of cast members singing during an episode, like picking up a a song like this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think it comes across as hokey, but this worked pretty well and I actually I really like the song to the point where like now it's stuck in my head <laughs> and I didn't expect that and so I'm I'm appreciative okay sorry I was just busy over here filling out my Emmy ballot for Rosamund Pike for that monologue because <laughs> I thought she did a great job uh yeah let's 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 get her in the Emmy conversation I think she's carrying <laughs> yeah. carrying some of the scenes here mm-hmm. cut to a green and ran uh walking and picking up sticks for the fire I guess she asked him if he wants to talk about it and he sort of snaps at her uh, this Rand guy, not my favorite character. <laughs> really frustrated me here. She then makes the point that she can't be uh, Nynaeve's apprentice because she's dead. So is Layla. And they're being chased by the things that killed them. And he won't even look at her. And I just want you to look at me and not help me and not hate me. I don't need anything more than that. And he turns to look at her and says, I can never hate you. So uh, don't care. Um, uh, there might be some people who really care about the dynamic between these two maybe they'll teach me to care later but right now it just seems like uh, teenage bickering that is beside the point to me cut to Perrin getting water and he hears something howling off in the distance sounds like wolves his leg is clearly bothering him he sits down he pulls up his pants leg uh, and it's a mess it's getting worse it's festering mm-hmm. and it's that, that, like mm-hmm. you were talking about Sarah that like dark black is setting in yeah. and then he sees a pack of wolves and then he turns, he sees another. He turns, he sees, there was everywhere. The wolves have, have surrounded him. And um, he's freaked out, clearly. Now we got, the only reference to wolves we got so far is in episode one when Tam and Rand are talking. Mm-hmm. And Tam says, hey, the wolves are being driven down the mountain to mm-hmm. us. That didn't sound like a good thing when Tam said it, right? Yeah. It didn't seem like no. he was happy about that. And it seems I mean, like... Shepherds, so like wolves and sheep aren't usually like understood. Like the best of friends. Understood, absolutely. But he also looks scared of them. Parents, and I'm just trying to piece together here that I don't think they they view the wolves as their friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the wolf just walks over like a good boy <laughs> and licks his wound, and they take off. And um, I want to talk about that in my theory section. Okay. I, got, okay. I got a theory. Cool. On. We'll put a pin right. in it. So, cut to the evening, and they are around the campfire. They ask Lan if Moraine is going to be okay, and he says, she needs sleep, like you all do. As they're sleeping, the wind is blowing, and Egwene wakes up and sees the eyeless standing on a cliff. I thought this was a dream to start with. I really mm. did. It felt a little bit like yeah. the dreams that they had been having mm-hmm. before, yeah. Yeah, but spoiler alert, everybody. Not a dream. Very much not a dream. Nope. Eyeless is very much there. <laughs> and Lan moves quick. 
uh, sensing real immediate scary time danger. Well, so he wasn't around the fire. So I think he was scouting yeah. and came back about the same time that she woke she up. Woke up. Okay. If you watch, he's basically never around the fire when they're out, unless like he's talking. Like if you count the number of bodies when they're sleeping. Interesting, or, okay. Like, when they're uh, just riding or anything. There are five people there and lands off doing land things. Mm. Got it. Uh, land moving quick. Tries to wake up Marine. Says you have to wake up now. She's not. She's not waking yeah. up. So he gives her to Perrin. I thought that was an interesting move mm-hmm. to give her to Perrin. I mean, obviously this Big is man. obviously is the most. Imp- but he also seems to trust him maybe more than the rest of them to to handle. He does yeah. seem a little yeah. more stable. stable. Yeah. He does to me yeah. too. I thought it was a good move from Land, but I mean, it's also kind of shows where his head's at with those four that mm-hmm. he would he yeah. would give it to her, uh, give her to him because obviously Moraine's the most important thing to him. Uh, he asks where they should go, and Land says east to the fallen city of Shadar Lagoth. Yep. Mm-hmm. Taking them to trouble. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I think I might have missed earlier in the recap. I think there there was a moment where Shadow Lagoth is brought up, and our girl, my girl, mm-hmm. Moraine, makes it perfectly clear. We that's a bad place to go. We shouldn't go there. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go there. And Land yep. just kind of like blows her off. And now he's she's out of it, out of commission. He's mm-hmm. the one making the choices, and he says that's where we're going to go into the fallen city, Shadar Lagoth. Yep. yep. Anything we want to talk about with this scene? The, the, the Isla's showing up and them taking off. Nope. All right. Good. Then we get a chase scene. The Trollocs are chasing them. Big okay. ass army of Trollocs. I like that they take uh, Lorraine's horse with her. Uh, I just want to point that out. Yeah. They, they make sure that, I think it's Egwene that has it mm-hmm. uh, on, yep. on the trail, mm-hmm. and the horse. Smart. Her name is Eldeep. There you go. All right. <laughs> uh, until they get to a point where the horses don't want to cross. The horses yeah. basically just run up and just boop, stop. And they see a big stone wall in front of them with a crack right down the middle. It looks like mm-hmm. a big, big, huge built wall. And mm-hmm. there's just a crack that runs all the way down to the bottom. Yeah. It's all the way all down the bottom. Yep. He turns and looks, and the Trollocs have also just stopped. And mm-hmm. they seem to be in sort of no man's land. They're in this weird purgatory area where the Trollocs won't get as close as they are, but the horses won't get any farther without a lot of urging. Mm-hmm. Sarah, do you have something? The only thing that I wanted to say that we haven't talked about yet, but I think is so cool about these chase scenes with the Trollocs, even though we get just many of them multiple yeah. times. Yeah. I understand why. But what I do think is really cool about it that they did is the different ways that the Trollocs move through the world. Yes. Like some of them are running bipedally. Some of them are on all fours running more like wolves or boars or, you know. Yeah. I, like, I thought that was a really cool Some of them detail. seem to be speed walking. Mm-hmm. Some seem to be running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was really neat. Yeah. Um, and so the other thing that they did, which um, comes through a little bit, but especially in the first episode, a lot of the Trollocs were shaky cam. So... Mm-hmm. Um, all of them are different. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't take, they spent a lot of time making sure that they're, and maybe not 100%, but like 99%, like they're all different. So pretty much all of its practical effects, they all have costumes that they have that are all slightly different, like mm. horn, like the horns are different, the, the, the mouths are different and everything else. And so they really took time to do that for everyone. So it's sort of worth noting that. And yeah, that's cool. cool. I, I they are not made on a production this. line. They are all yeah. sort of different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, horn, yeah, the horns are definitely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They are bespoke. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lan then move. Uh, they, they stop, and, and Rand asks Lan, like, what's going on, basically? And Lan explains that the Trollocs will not follow them inside, so they go inside. Question for, I'm going to stop here and I'm going to apologize to anybody who's upset that I continue to reference the Song of Ice and Fire series. If you're upset about that, give me 30 seconds. BJ, (laughs) 
Which book was written first? The first Song of Ice and Fire, 1996, or the first Wheel of Time? First Wheel of Time. Okay. So George Martin stole Valeria from them. Because this is fucking Valeria. <laughs> Almost it is so close yeah. to it. Mm -hmm. It is like um, unbelievable, mm -hmm. all the parallels. I think the world was 1990, but it might have been even before that. Okay, yeah, so that I'm gonna give Robert Jordan credit here. He gets the OG mark for it, but that is, yeah, these two things are very, so, very similar. What I was gonna say is, I think there were a number of books out in the Wheel of Time before um, Game of Thrones started. I think it might have been like even four or five of Wheel of Time books out first. Give it to the us, first Sarah. one did come out in 1990. Eye of the World was 1990. Okay, so Robert Jordan gets the credit. And George R. R. Martin? George R. R. Martin first book was 1996. Yeah, he yeah. stole it. Um, I, I, hard for me to think there's, he's not taking there because mm -hmm. they're so close. Yeah. But I so, mean, to be fair, Robert Jordan, I as a well, is a master of this, but he drew from so many legends sure. of our own and mm -hmm. yeah. and Lord of the Rings and and encapsulated it mm -hmm. and made it this whole new mm -hmm. yeah world. And Martin made it, a but new yeah, world right. So it's too, just so. new new weavings yeah. of the wheel. Sure. <laughs> and, and, and so ah, there you go. I like that new weavings. <laughs> One of the things that we <laughs> talked about was this is a different telling in, uh, of uh, a lot of what Tolkien did. Mm -hmm. And so I think Martin he, like drew from both of these and, and he sure. de definitely went a different direction. And so I think that this is pulling um, kind of similarly from uh, the wizards in uh, the the in Tolkien's books where, you know, there, there was some evil that sort of happened there with Saruman mm -hmm. and like a internal struggle in, in the Tower of the mm -hmm. Wizards. And, and so like, I think a lot of them are retellings. And so it's going to be really funny because we're going to get a lot of Game of Thrones comparisons and Jordan either drew from or the shows are drawing from Game of Thrones. And I think, again, that's valid. Like, you know, you have a show drawing from a previous show and they're going to do a lot of things similar. So I'd like to point out that when, when I made that comparison there, I, I don't mean to throw the baby out with the bathwater with Martin. Obviously, these fantasy authors take from each other. They're tropes that maybe maybe even this trope wasn't created by Robert Jordan. I don't know, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's I don't I find that to be okay. The only thing I it, that so far in the comparisons that I've found, like, a little bit egregious and like almost like a liberty that I went a little bit too far was the hard home scene. That was beat for beat and it looked exactly like how they shot that scene. It's one of the most iconic exactly. scenes in the entire show of Game of Thrones. I thought they stole that. This part here, totally cool. I'm just drawing the comparison. Yeah, yeah. So, that's fair. so with that scene, that is so close to directly from the books. I think they might have shot it differently to, to separate them out a little bit, but that was in the first book. Okay. Like, well, then basically, gets, well, almost then that, word then it's, for then word. it's hard for me to complain quite as much. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it really, when you're just, just watching these shows, yeah, you're like, holy shit, right. they took, yeah. like, of all the things to take from, like, the most iconic shot mm -hmm. of John away in that boat, like, it's mm -hmm. just kind of tough. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, as they walk, uh, Perrin tells him to listen. Um, there are no birds. There's no bugs. There's fucking nothing here. Lane gets off and takes Maureen, and Perrin tells him she's barely breathing, and, um, Obviously, I had to sing Duncan Sheik uh, to Sarah. I am barely breathing. Anyway, they all go inside <laughs> a large building. He looks at her wound and is obviously concerned. So Maureen is not doing well and um, seems to be fading. So were you real worried for your girl, Maureen? No, I think she's got plot armor at this point. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't think I don't think they're going to kill her right now. But <laughs> uh, if I didn't know any better, maybe because they, they certainly make her seem close to death here. Egwene says, Shadar Lagoth sounds like the old tongue. It means shadows waiting. 
this is now our boy um, uh, Lan. Lan telling this story. So he jumps in, right? Moraine's not there to give the history lesson, so Lan jumps in to give it. Lan has to talk. This is really weird for everybody. It means shadows waiting, but it was once called... Aridol. Aridol. It was apparently the richest, most popular, populous city uh, before the Trolloc Wars, but when the world needed them most, they built their wall with no gate, locked themselves inside, let the other nations of man burn. It was the people of the city who promised Manethrin aid, and they were the ones who let them die. When the Trolloc Wars ended, the survivors came here to find food, shelter. When they knocked, no one answered. When they finally broke through the wall, I guess that's the crack maybe, that's what mm -hmm. they broke through, so. uh, there was no one inside. And it is said that the evil itself grew from the city's heart and consumed everyone and everything that lived. Now, that obviously can't be true, right? There's no evil that's going to come up from under the ground to take them all. I mean, that, that's never going to happen, obviously. <laughs> uh, ever since then, it's been so abandoned. So anyway. <laughs> ever since then, it's been abandoned, and even Trollocs won't go there. So we get the backstory for mm -hmm. Shadar Lagoff. And Land did a pretty good job telling the story. He's not quite the storyteller that Maureen is, but, you know, serviceable. Um, serviceable. And he also tells them not to touch anything. Yes, he does. Um, Very clear. Well, yeah, clear it's coming terms. up. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. my guy Matt says a couple of things. Uh, <laughs> Possible phrase of the episode. That's, uh, that's more than you've basically said ever. And two, why in light's name did you bring us here? And he says, well, the response to this from Lan is, well, don't touch anything and eat only the food you brought. So my theory here, I'm going to fuck it. I'm breaking the mold. I think he's been here before. I think Lan has been to Shadar the Golf before. Because he seems to think, like, I know everybody thinks this is super scary and super dangerous, and it is, but here's kind of the general rules. Like, just don't right. touch shit, and, like, mm -hmm. let's not be here very long, and we'll probably be okay. So I, I had the sense he was probably, had been there before. Cut to Rand, who goes up to a tower, and I gotta say, it is a pretty stunning escape of the city. Although it is interesting that the city built every single building the same height, so I don't know, oh, that's kind of <laughs> strange. Uh, Egwene goes up there with him and they hold hands. So if you're interested in the drama between these two, it looks like they're back on the same page. I mean, but it was a beautiful shot when they backed away from oh, them sure. standing up at the mm -hmm. top of it that really building cool. and looking out. All right, I take back the comment about the city building heights. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I, was trying, I, was just, I was throwing sand on what is a beautiful city. It is yeah. a good city. Yeah, no, they did. The way they chose to depict um, Shadar Lagoth and the detail that they went into for these mm -hmm. buildings the intricacy of the almost like lace-like architecture. It's got that almost like Moroccan, Middle Eastern, but also Eastern European feel. Like it's yeah, very it does. cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. I agree with that. Meanwhile, Matt sat down next to Perrin and gives him a knife Layla made him. Now, th there's some back and forth and dialogue here that I didn't write all of this down. All I want to say about this is that you use the word almost irredeemable for Matt, right? He's mm -hmm. almost an irredeemable character. And uh, it seems to me that uh, this is a very redeemable moment. Right? It is. He it has is. this thing Absolutely. that Layla gave him, and he knows if I, it's going to mean more if I give it to him. Hey, your wife gave this, gave it to me. Here's something you can remember her by. Here, I'm going to give it to you. Well, it's, and he, I hear about this. It's just nice. Yeah. It's it just also, a nice scene. Yeah, it's a very nice scene. And the other nice thing is it, it gives Matt the chance to tell Perrin the line about, you know, that Layla told him. You know, that she doesn't make weapons. She makes tools. Mm -hmm. Tools might save your life, but they're more than just a weapon. And I think it does two more things that I really like. It fills out backstory um, and cements the, the friendship. So in terms yeah, of backstory, it does do that for sure. it's, Matt says that, 
you know, and one day I might save the life of somebody that I care about or love. I don't remember exactly what term he used. And he's like, and Layla was pretty sure that any trouble that you might be in, I'd have got you into this. And you can't blame any of this on me. Um, and I actually said along with it, I said, yeah, yeah, it's just fair. I don't think you can pin yeah. this one on him. That's yeah, not right. Listen, you can't do that. Uh, and I would, like, I, one of the things I really appreciate about this scene, too, is that, you know, the show so far has focused so much on Moraine, obviously, mm-hmm. and everyone's relationship Justifiably, to she yes, rules. Yes, absolutely. And a lot on kind of Rand and Egwene yeah. being angsty around really each other. That this is, I think, really the first scene that we've gotten any sort of extended conversation just between Matt and Perrin. And so, yes, it does do that kind of friendship cementing that you were talking about. But, like, just from a um, who's on screen at any given time perspective, like, having them, just them together having a conversation, that felt really important. It was not something that we had seen in the show before. And so, and then the other thing was... Uh, we even questioned a little bit, and, and Lee, I think you you threw this out. It's like, all right, they're doing favors for Matt. Like, we don't really why? know about yeah, yeah exactly why. And so like this shows that like Matt has good, good quality. Like, he, he definitely good qualities. He's, he's actually really very cares. thoughtful. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's Absolutely. the thoughtful one out of all of them. And and we also saw not that, all degenerate gamblers are bad people. Exactly. <laughs> so we also and and I forgot about mentioning this, but. Um, I think it was Matt that came over and comforted Perrin when Perrin uh, put his wife's body on yes. on the plank. Yeah. And so, yes. like, oh, which that was something I meant to mention earlier. <laughs> if you go back to our, our episode one, we missed. What yes. did we miss? <laughs> but that it, one of the cool things that Perrin's uh, actor did when Matt laid his hand on Perrin to you know kind of comfort him as he was laying his wife's body, Perrin did this like, clench which was very like tension and very like again him already feeling like you shouldn't be comforting me. I'm a monster. Yeah. yeah. BJ, spice that into the anyway. one, would you? Uh, <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, but so, and what we have here is Matt comforting Perrin again, and it seems to like work a little bit better this mm-hmm. time. So we get cementing the friendships, a little bit more of the relationships, and we get Matt is a little bit of a bad apple, but more like he, he gets the the group into hijinks or trouble. Yeah. Like maybe maybe not like bad trouble like this, not like Trollops pursuing them, but like letting the badger on the green. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and I, I liked your point about her talking making the distinction about tool weapon. I think that like that's coming up over and over again in this world mm-hmm. is that they take weapons pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. Like the making of, the having, mm-hmm. like it like it, in Game of Thrones it's very much like everybody's got a sword, it's not a big deal. Here it seems like if you make a weapon that's like almost like a moral thing that you've done. Yeah. Right. And so, and and we mentioned this in, in episode one, that Tam is the only person in Two Rivers that has a weapon. And that's like a big deal. And mm-hmm. something even you notice that like this sword is a special thing. And so, you know, something to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, it's nice. Yeah. Just a nice, <laughs> yeah. nice thing that he did. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. take a second for a nice moment. Later, Matt wakes up and walks outside. The horses are making a little noise. Nothing crazy, but a little noise. Matt sort of strolls around. He walks into a building. He sees some stuff. One thing is in a case, and uh, he starts touching stuff. Land was pretty clear. Land was pretty clear. Do not touch stuff. And it, right in line with his what we've seen of him, it looks like he's going. He's looking for valuables. A little sticky. Looking, yeah, look a little something yeah. here. A little mm-hmm. grease the palm situation. And he pulls on a dagger, and we see a red stone. It looks like the red stone is jumping. 
That redstone oh, looks like it's got stuff going on in it. Oh. It does not look like a regular little mm -hmm. redstone. I like that. And so that interesting. interesting. Also, he did just give up his knife, so, you know. Yeah, he needs he another. another the world provides. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's got a redstone on it. He removed, Sometimes you get lucky. He removes it from the hilt, right? He, he, he unsheaths it. Mm -hmm. And when he does, shout out to Sarah, who caught this, up, uh, up over his right shoulder, when you're looking at him, you can see the death start. Mm -hmm. You can see the black start as soon as he mm -hmm. unsheaths it. Um, and then you cut to the outside and the horses are dying right in front of them. Um, it doesn't seem... That was a traumatizing scene. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I know it? that. Yeah. But it didn't seem... It didn't but it's seem a Frisian. Like it's okay, right? Did it seem like they were really in pain? It looked like they were more confused. Well, and then they I just think, became Sam. I think sort of... So the part that I did not like, because yes, they were confused, I think, when it first started, that one horse that got sacrificed. But what I didn't like was that as most of the horse became sand, mm -hmm. like the head was still moving it and you could struggling. still see that it was still struggling, mm -hmm. struggling. And to me, that was a very awful like, ooh, like it's still very much conscious that like the rest of its body is mm -hmm. disintegrating. Pretty tough. But yeah, the, obviously, the yeah, like the word you do sacrificed. It was sacrificed for the viewers so yep. that we could see what it does. Yeah. Right. right. What are the stakes? Exactly. That was a great, like, you have to know what you're yeah. getting into. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And then we can take, um, I don't know, like, uh, we can pull in like a Ray Romano joke or Kevin James or something from CBS because Moraine wakes up just long enough to tell Lanny fucked up and you guys go right back to sleep. <laughs> it's like the, the wife wakes up just long enough to say, yeah, you made a bad decision and then falls right back asleep. <laughs> I feel like there's a joke in there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but she does. She wakes up and she basically looks at him and she's like, you've killed us all. Well, yep. she says, where are we? And he doesn't even answer. She intuits when she looks around and from his reaction where they yeah. are, she says, you've killed us all. Mm -hmm. The potential night of the episode, you've killed us yeah. all. Mm -hmm. But she does go back. She goes, she goes back to sleep. So I guess I guess in her mind, she's thinking, well, I've already told him he screwed up, which I really needed to do. And, uh, <laughs> and two, like, uh, I can't do anything here. We're already mm -hmm. dead, so I might, might as well just go to bed. Right. So they get separated because the death sort of comes, it's like creeping in the, on the ground. I'm doing a lot of gesturing here, which means nothing to the listeners, but like <laughs> it's on the ground and it kind of separates the groups, right? We have yeah. Perrin and Egwene, and then we have Matt and Rand, and then we have uh, Moraine and Lan. All, mm -hmm. There's three yep. different groups mm -hmm. all paired up. They're split. Lan takes off on a horse with Moraine. Lan, basically, when he sees the death coming, uh, he's... Eagle Scout that he is. He knows exactly what to do. Gets her on a horse and gets the hell out of there. Not really a problem for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a problem, but like he, he has a plan he's done. and he it's executes yeah, it. Yeah. He knows who's important. He even gets the other horse out of there. Yeah. He even gets yeah. both horses out, right? Mm -hmm. Matt and Rand get to a door and Matt uh, hoist Rand up over it and uh, Rand breaks the door to let him in. Rand then kicks in a gate in the hallway. It looks like they're kind of in a sewer system of the city, basically. Yeah. yeah. Because they get to the edge and they kick the gate and then it's basically like where Rumble, a sewer would yeah. dump out yeah. into the, the yeah. water that's outside yeah, the city yeah. gates. And they just jump. They're just, they're, boom, I'm getting out of here. Egwene and Perrin get to the top of the city walls and they eventually jump down. How'd you feel about that? The jump down? Yep. Uh, is it a uh, you jump, I jump jack situation? <laughs> from uh, Gilmore Thank Girls? You. Would you be able to do that? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I, I, I was, Sarah heard me when mm. this happened. I was saying... Um, uh, feet first or head first, feet first or head first, feet first or head first. I, was, I mean, it's a big jump. Yeah. 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 Uh, you ask because you think they should have died on the jump? 
No, because no, no, no. No, just it, 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 it was, was the heights would bother you, I think. So oh, the heights. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> in these shots, you're just like, nope, I don't like this. I'm going to tell you this about my fear of heights. Yep. Uh, when it when it's opposed to imminent death, I'll take the jump all day. <laughs> I'm with them. No all right, problem. then. Uh, that yep. little creepy death thing, that, that was bothering me. Uh, so they jump, and uh, again, Egwene Perrin getting some vibes. Yep. <laughs> that little some handhold before vibes. they jump? Yes, okay. absolutely. Yep. So can we talk about the creepy death thing for yeah, let's do it. a hot second? Fire away. Because this, it is creepy as all get out. And one yeah. of the things, and this comes from the books a little bit too, but one of the things that is the creepiest about it to me, and I think that they portrayed this really well in the show, is that it is mindless. Mm-hmm. It is not tracking them. It is not following them. It's, and somehow it's worse. It seems to me to be just, going after life. Yes. Yeah, it's basically like, ooh, living things. Yes. And what really, the the scene that really solidified that for me and was the creepiest and really got me was after um, uh, after Matt and Rand go through the sewer system and out, you get the shot of the little thing they come through, the death comes out, and then almost like it's exhaling again. And it's it like, okay. Mm-hmm. And that Bummer. was so like, oh, jeez. It's like, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't, you can't leave oh. the city. Yeah, and it's like all right. Well, I guess I guess they it's out of my reach. Yeah, um, and that that kind of it, it's the it's the my, I've used this word talking about this now a couple of times, but the mindlessness of it is like it's different from the Trollocs. It's yeah. different from the Fades. It's different. Like this whole situation is distinct from that hunting. This is it has been set loose, and now it doesn't have control over itself. You don't have control over it. There is nothing to be done. Question for the group. Is this quicksand or a disease? Meaning, if it touches your foot, can you can you lift your foot up and peel out? Or if it touches your foot, is it disease or are you dead? You dead. You dead. So it's disease, not quicksand. Got yep. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, any more we want to say about the, the imminent death disease thing? That it's super cool. Chases we'll probably talk a little bit about it after you're gone. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Cut to... Uh, Rand and Matt. Rand, we can't leave without them. Matt, pretty sure I can. <laughs> cuts Great a line. <laughs> cuts a land. And uh, Moraine, uh, land puts Moraine down. She's still out of it. Cut to Perrin and Egwene. They end up in some sort of bog type place. Cuts a land and Moraine, and we see a knife go to land's neck. Pan up, and we see, oh, she's back. Nynaeve is back. If you don't take me to them right now, I'll slit your throat. That sort of, like we were talking about, Brie, that like crazy anger. She's just like mm-hmm. flashing with anger. Uh, but also protection, right? Like she's doing this for a reason. She has to find her friends. Absolutely. And get them yeah. back. Because um, she, obviously the thing, the only thing we've really seen her care about is being able to tap into the whatever it is and taking care of it going. That's yep. all we've ever seen her care about. I thought it was powerful that the, the, Mm-hmm. The reveal that she's back, the way they did it, was pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. I will say her order of operations are a little screwed up. I don't know yep. how. You take me to them right now or I'll slit your throat. I mean, in order, you have to take the knife away from his throat in order. And then if he doesn't take you to See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't always think like through what she's going to do, <laughs> but she has a purpose in mind. And, you know, this reinforces the, my job is to protect the two rivers from you if necessary. Like this is hammering mm-hmm. that in. It was also kind of cute. Like, I'm not trying to be mean here. But, like, as soon, <laughs> as soon as she removes that blade from Lan's neck, 
She dead. She could be dead. She could be dead. Yeah. He's yeah. going to take, like, he might even be able to do it while it's neck to his yeah. neck. I'm right. not yeah. sure. But she certainly stands no chance against him once she moves that blade from his neck. And she's got to in order to right. get him to show her where to go. Right. Yeah. This is this is exactly the same impulse that is her just screaming at the trolley in right. the first episode. Right. Like, that, it's the same gear inside of her that is causing these things to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And that is, um, that's the end of the episode, folks. All right. Yeah. Good job on the recap once yeah. again, Lee. Clap, clap, clap. Very nice. All right, so we have a, a couple of other segments. Let's do it. Um, yeah. So let's start out with Tavern of the Week. So mm. this is um, our favorite character, like development of a character, um, and, and where that goes. Can you start uh, with me go around? Lee, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Lan. Okay. Lan. Lan gets the... So Moraine, obviously the MVP of the series, she's mm-hmm. out of it for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got to take a nap. Mm-hmm. So he takes care of her. Uh, I also nominate Lan because he gives a really good monologue, mm-hmm. and when creepy death things happened, it would it did it seemed to be like I have a plan. I knew this was coming. I have I, I knew this could happen. I have a plan. Yeah. I'm get, and he got and the fact that he got her horse out as well shows me that he was not in a panic state. It yeah. was mm-hmm. I was able to execute a plan to get out of here, and he executed it perfection. Guy's a professional, very good at his job. I like Lan. So I will comment though that he didn't actually get the horse her horse out of there that horse followed them so it wasn't attached but Eldeeb's a smart mare and would have okay. would have followed like she's not what, slow Alia might be her character of the week we'll, we'll, we'll see when we get to her like where, where this is yeah well maybe, maybe it was the horse that just followed but he probably had to, he did would have to get himself in a position where the horse yeah. could follow take them yeah. both yeah. loose and was like exactly. you'll figure it out yeah let's go yeah. I mean he, the, the man seems to be very good at his job. He's a professional. Absolutely. Yep. Utmost professional land. All right, Sarah. Okay, so this is... I am giving my pick this week just on who had the most intri- like j- pure intriguing moment for me mm-hmm. this week. And I gotta say it was Perrin. Okay. Perrin in the scene mm-hmm. with the wolves in the woods on his own. Mm-hmm. Just within the confines of the show. That was a, a strange and interesting scene for All me. All right, so I'm not pushing back with the nomination, mm-hmm. but I just have an honest question for mm-hmm. you. Was it Perrin that was more interesting there, or the wolves? Fair point. I would like to nominate the wolves. Oh, that's was, great! Was it the, like multicolored wolf. That was a good boy. That was that boy. boy. It was the good right. boy. Okay. Yeah. Um, that so. scene was dope, though, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, okay. I, I. So I. I mean, I guess that if I just nominate that scene, it bleeds in a little bit. But like the that. That moment and that storyline, like what is happening, you were with like, Karen is "Oh, really there's something yeah. here." Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to say, I'm. It's Matt, uh, my boy Matt. I am. I'm so excited that that he is a good character early on to root for. Him being super caring with Perrin, like giving, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. he clearly does not have many possessions. Uh, that's a good point too. That is a yeah. good point. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And I hadn't thought about that. Not only has he kept this knife that's clearly like incredibly good workmanship from his friend's wife. Could have sold it. Yeah. Could have sold it. You know, a whole bunch of things. He he parts with it willingly. Yes, some things happen, and he needs to replace it, perhaps. But <laughs> um, and he comes up with a lot of things. He starts the song. He, like I, I think that we're getting a much fuller characterization of that. Um, and I hope it continues. Uh, I am rooting for him. Uh, he has some I like the great lines. I like the nomination a lot. Yeah, I do too. I mean, tone deaf. I mean, I cannot sing this actor. Oh, no, that was 
an <laughs> awful <laughs> opening. <laughs> so, so uh, Barney or Spencer? Or like, you know, who, who's the better singer? Oh. Yeah, it was, okay. oh. yeah, it was pretty terrible. Uh, anyway, terrible. so, so Brie, who's your nomination? And then you can wrap Ooh. it up and... and uh, I think these have been fantastic ones. I love them all. Um, I think you might have changed my mind, BJ. We'll see. But so mine was going to be Eamon Valda at the very, very beginning Mm. where we just get that like super intense brutality from him. And he's just so striking. And it's yeah. just, it brings, it kicks everything up to the next level. So to me, that is amazing. And also that's the his, yeah, that's the, yeah the questioner. Yeah. And he also says, brutality is the only path to mercy. Mm-hmm. No, sometimes. Yeah. But that's that just like such a great, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a like, who the fuck is this dude? And why is he loose in the world? Mm-hmm. But I will say, I think Matt might actually take it because I do actually really like him and he has some great one-liners in this and he becomes a lot more fleshed out. So, yeah. Damn. It's going to be Matt. Interesting. Lost, yeah. lost this week. Lan, Lan is just always like a really great quality actor and character. Lan's so always like, going to be like number two. We'll see if <laughs> right. he ever wins it out. He doesn't like get he's, too low. That's true. It is yeah, the warder's position. Yeah. I mean, that's just yeah, what that's you right. are. Yeah. Um, all right. So Gleeman's Corner, we're yep. doing best scene and or best quote. Um, Bree, I'm going to start with you. Ooh. All right. So best scene for me. I feel like we at some point need to narrow this down to best quote or best scene. Right. How about like, can we can we do it's either best quote or best series of dialogue. Okay. That way it's yeah. you're not really it's, talking so you're not comparing a scene dialogue to dialogue because I yeah. feel like scene gets a little Yeah, so it's, it's not like a fight okay. scene. Yeah, got it. It's okay. an interaction between characters. Okay. Maybe it can like or an individual the, the handing okay. off of the knife like there's some like conversation around that but like that's the scene okay anyway got it so i think i'm actually gonna go for a composition of scenes Mm -hmm. so it it comes from the question of how much does moraine want these people and how much is she willing to do slash kill incapacitate whatever for these people so like we know she's been hunting them for a long time and then we have the master hightower scene where she allows somebody to die yeah Yeah. so the fairy man so she doesn't kill him she can't kill him but she's ruthless and she'll sort of stop at nothing to make sure that what she wants gets done okay and then you have the middle part where she essentially says you know what rand fine you don't want to come along just go but you have land sitting there being like i'll make sure that everybody goes and then at the end you have land being like I'm leaving these people. I got to get Maureen out. She is my priority. And I don't care about these other people. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with actually something that, that you brought up. Um, as you, Asada, should know, sometimes brutality is the only path to mercy because it cements in how batshit crazy Valda is. Mm-hmm. That, you know, this is a crazy evil dude. And ties in what we know about the Aesodai because they did something to that dude in the first scene. And they talk about how, um, you know, the only way that the world can exist is if they gentle men who channel. And, and so, like, there is this brutal side of the Aesodai that we see with Moraine. 
and and we get a call back of uh the the ferryman hightower says the white cloaks were right about you ace to die um you're monsters and so i think that is world building and it is just like volatility it's also an example of when like crazy people try to be profound it's like word salad <laughs> yeah you know it's like in order to sleep you have to have torture you know they say some crazy <laughs> shit like and you're yeah. like that doesn't make sense yeah he just said yeah. a crazy thing mm-hmm. but it is indicative of where his mind's at and actually on that note my line of the episode is and i don't have the exact words in front of me but it is it is moraine and she is talking to a queen language matters words matter how we use them matters, matters. okay um Mine is Moraine talking to Egwene as well. Uh, the first two were mine. The last one was years and years alone. You don't listen to the wind, Egwene. The wind listens to you. I feel like that's um, going to be really important for the character development. And it also tells us a little bit about this back. Because I'm like locked in on the power. Mm-hmm. Like I watched Star Wars. I wanted to know what the force was the whole time. I, could, I, like, I was like, little, Alderaan exploded. And I'm like, hold on. How did he lift that thing off the table again? <laughs> like that's what I care yeah. about. I'm really interested in the magic part of this. Uh, and that's starting to tell tell Egwene a little bit about it. Um, the last thing that I, I want to highlight, because it is basically a line that defines a lot of the show, is um, Aes Sedai never lie, but the truth you hear isn't always yeah. uh, the one that's being said. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Sarah, I'm going to have to go with, uh, with that, the line that you had, um, which is... Words matter. What you say matters, and you know what did I say exactly? Because, yeah. because not only does it lead us into the three O's, which are, um, as you know, maybe we'll we'll get to sort of the phrasing later, but embody what the Ace of Die are, and the Ace of Die are a through line of the entire series of the entire series of books of everything. Th- this these three O's and what she says there is. I would say akin to like the three laws of robotics, things like that, where they are icons of the series. And I think that her putting that emphasis before it really nails that down. Absolutely. All right. Cool. Done. You got some theories for us? I do. Yeah. So first, I've been alluding to this. I think Perrin and Egwene are going to have a thing and that's going to cause a rift with Rand. So you're going to have a little little teenage (laughs) love triangle situation coming up here. Then the theory I was really excited to talk to you about is the wolves, okay? So it seems to me that they're kind of setting up this world as the folks think that the wolves are dangerous. You don't really want them around. I mean, Perrin seems scared of them. Um, Tam didn't like that they were coming down the mountain. I mean, he does have sheep. That was a very good point. But nonetheless, I mean, I still think it ties into the idea that they don't want the sheep. They don't want the wolves around, right? Yeah. I think we're going to hear more of that. I think we're going to hear people. The wolves are around now. We're getting that. We hear them howling. We saw them. We're going to hear from different characters about the wolves being bad, et cetera, et cetera. I think we're going to learn that the wolves are good. The wolves are not. The, the wolves probably don't care for these Trolloc characters. I can't imagine they're buddies. Uh, and I think the wolves will be an asset I mean, at some point to our We have seen some Trollocs that have very like wolf-like features. Yeah, or maybe they have pelts. Maybe they've killed yeah. a few. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I think at some point in the future, we're going, we're going to see this tension of like, oh, the wolves are bad, wolves are bad. And then in a crucial moment, the wolves are going to help our, our heroes. So cool. uh, I have faith in the wolf. Good to know. Anything else? Or shall we move on to the uh, all I got. dragon power ranking of the episode? Dragon power rankings of the episode. This is the one I have power over. Uh, okay. <laughs> so 
Obviously, Rand takes a tumble this week. Bad. <laughs> okay. Bad loss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. He's just a whiny when, teenager. When, I mean, I understand that Lan was still there, but we have no evidence that Lan was watching for Rand. He mm-hmm. could have been watching because Egwene wasn't true. gone yet, yeah. right? So, Moraine was very flippant to say, "Well, I've run out of time with you, kid." Uh, I think I think Rand takes a tumble this week. I still think Perrin is four. Okay. Perrin does not, it doesn't seem like there's any chance that Perrin is, I mean, they might as well call it the three. <laughs> Perrin is separate from that, right? Uh, but right above him, at the baseline, right at the bottom is Rand. Uh, I still think you have to put my guy Matt too. And now starting to creep wet, like as a serious front runner status. Okay. You have a queen with this whole, like, the hey, look, a main queen, contender. But we, yeah, I mean, she, she basically is like, like, hey, come, come talk. Like, you're, I know you're asleep. I got a lesson to teach you. You can see her doing that with Matt, you know, yep. uh, doing that, doing that there. Uh, the only thing I will question about these rankings, right? That's my rankings for the week. The only thing I question is maybe, maybe this is, I should have brought this up theory time, is what about the bat thing? Like, does that mean that he's a dragon or something? I don't know. Does the bat have something, to, pulling a bat out of your mouth or something, does that have something to do with uh, potentially being the dragon? Uh, I don't know if that's some sort of foreshadowing. I know, like, I, I'm always on the watch for, like, symbols and, and foreshadowing things and there's some meaning there with the bat mm-hmm. as a as a, just a newbie i don't think we have enough but i'm trying to piece together if maybe that has something to do with the dragon thing fair uh, enough watch out for the bats we'll see where that goes and and other uh they will refer to animals going out i'm i'm, I'm putting money on it now um, i'm betting that we'll get a lot more later in the the uh season that they'll they'll focus in and there'll be some like specific things that they call out. Yeah. Okay. So, good pickups. All right. So there we go. I yeah. think that wraps it up for that, me. That wraps up uh, part one. All right. Cool. Well, thanks everybody. Uh, enjoyed this episode, and I'll see you next week. Yeah. Thanks. doing our second half of uh, episode two of uh, Wheel of Time. Uh, this part is spoiler heavy. We're going to be talking about deviations from the books. Um, we are going to be talking about where we think things are sort of fitting into the books in general and a little bit of a segment that we're calling Disappointed Dark Friends where people complain online and Uh, Sometimes we agree with them, but mostly they're the worst and we don't like them. Um, And so we're calling uh, sort of the segment, the reading of the pattern, the weft and the warp. So like differences in the books and, and, you know, where where things are fitting in. Um, They're all going to sort of run together because it's hard to like extricate some differences with people's complaints because hopefully we'll get out of this, but basically everybody's complaint is it's not the books. Yes. And we know that. Um, so just just know that we had really good names for each of these segments. We just can't extricate them. We, we can't, can't pick them, them apart. Yes, exactly. So, so we'll, we'll hopefully get into a bit more of that as we get further in the seasons, um, but we'll sort of see where that takes us and, mm-hmm. and maybe make some uh, decisions as we see more of the show. We're doing our best without... Um, uh, guitar Sadai is being able to uh, <laughs> predict uh, and see the future. Why are you making faces? Don't make faces. Well, so I'm making faces because I wish they had not thrown in that she had eyes so white that 
you know, but she could see even better than whatever. It was like, no, she was like a normal Aes Sedai, but she had this extra talent Mm. called dreaming and so, or foretelling. And so like she was able to foretell the future, not that she was blind. So, but that's, I think that was a, again, it's a minor thing and it's a, to make it a little more simple for the viewer of like, yeah, um, because it is like that is a trope that is easy to kind of get right. your hooks into and exactly. latch onto, and, and yeah. yeah. And I'll try to remember to mention this in our main uh, the main part of the pod, but um, if you haven't done this already, there is bonus content in the X-ray. Mm-hmm. You can't always see it on on the TV. You might have to go to a computer. I highly recommend at least the first two. Uh, the first one talks about the breaking of the world, so it's a little bit more world building what happened in the time of the dragon. The second one goes a little bit more into the story of Manetherin. I referenced it in uh, the main part of the episode. I wasn't considering it spoilers because it is part that we get with the TV show. Um, The only minor spoilery thing that I don't really think is a spoiler is that uh, King Amon was bonded to the queen. um, And um, I guess a little bit of a spoiler that you know, we didn't really tell Lee was that some Aes Sedai marry their water, some don't. It really sort of depends on um, how they want to take their relationship. Yeah. So, and actually, I guess we should talk briefly about those bonus contents because I think they're actually really interesting in the scope of the world, but they're they're just great like back to back with each other because one is about um, you know a man going mad. So Luz Theron, mm-hmm. which they don't mention that he's called Kin- Kinslayer, which I think is a little bit unfortunate, but I also think is on purpose because as soon as you hear Kinslayer, you go, oh, Perrin, because he killed his wife. Oh, interesting. Uh, the, see, that's interesting, too, because I wondered if they didn't do that partially because as we have had on kind of the main part of the pod talking with Terry, we there, there are so many, like, just parallels of between... <laughs> There, there's no, there's so many parallels between Game of Thrones and um, oh sure, and, yeah. You know, Kingslayer is a, yeah, an extremely yeah. known term in sort of right. me, people who consume media, fantasy media, right? Who maybe haven't read this book, and it's, I just and wonder so, if that's too mm, close. Yeah, they said Kingslayer's like, well, wait, the what? fact that okay. we have already gotten the Game of Thrones TV show, I wonder right. if they kind of made a decision like, that absolutely makes this sense. This is actually too yeah. close. We have other sort of names and terms to use. Yeah. We're going to drop the Kingslayer because yeah. I mean, it's too close to Kingslayer. That's real and it's hard. A, yeah. yeah. So that totally makes sense. But I do love that they have Luz Theron, like, stepping over his dead wife's body. Mm-hmm. And, like, his mm-hmm. cloak drags in her blood. And those are things that are absolutely yeah. in the prologue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very mm-hmm. cool just to see that brought sort of to life. I also just love the the aesthetic choices they made on how to do that bonus extra mm-hmm. material. Mm-hmm. It's, it's animated. It's sort of, like, almost stop-motion-y. It's like, stop-motion-y, but it also has this kind of, um, like grainy painterly quality yeah. to it um that I think is just great I love when and this is again going to go um back to this other pod that we do um pottering around we haven't watched the movies yet but mm-hmm. in um in the the Deathly Hollows suite of movies at this point there there is a point at which they are doing storytelling they are doing lore building and they do a very stylized um 
almost shadow puppet like way of depicting the story that they're telling within the within the movie and that kind of change in style to something that's animated to something that's different when you're doing that world building and that lore building I think that's really effective I think that's super cool and I particularly particularly like the choices that they've made for these stories like I think it's great I love everything about it so what I was going to go with like finishing out that thought was so we have first a man that destroys the world mm-hmm. so breaking and you know kind of gets that all kicked off and makes dragon mount and then the second story that we get is about Amon dying and his wife not going mad but exploding and again just making this absolute ravaging the land with the one power and so you can see that both mm-hmm. men and women actually mm-hmm. have that that ability to destroy the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a really nice yin-yang of those two parts. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And to have those be the two stories that we're getting exactly. in this bonus material. Right yeah, at the beginning. That's, that's really uh, important. So right off, we have a scene that isn't in the books. Um, I'm sure people complained about that. I don't care. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> the scene with the white clothes burning the yellow sister... Uh, introducing Evan Valda, it, it is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it is a change. It is in the books. I think this does a better job of introducing the White Cloaks than the books did. Absolutely, it's incredible. It's an incredible. It is it powerfully written, powerfully acted, but it's also visually stunning. I mean. Every, both of the scenes that we get with the white cloaks in um, in this episode are so great, partially because I, when you're reading the books, I did not fully anticipate how the starkness of the actual white cloak would look, especially moving through the forest in the green land, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have um, our, our questioner who was cast as a very dark st- dark-skinned black man with the white with the great like that whole it thing is. is masterfully done yeah it's and gorgeous we get some of it in the trailer we get a good chunk of this scene mm-hmm. in the trailer and it's so- still and sometimes like it gives too much away mm-hmm. and i think it gave away just enough so you know what's coming yeah and it's even better yeah in the scene itself yeah um huge fan of that um it, so it i guess just- it's great it's great yeah um (laughs) so i think one comment with this scene is it's interesting that they really with this scene i think they really drive into the hey we're not gonna bother trying to make the eyes that i look ageless Mm -hmm. like we that is not something that we can do Mm -hmm. we're not gonna do that because this woman she's old i mean she's not like old old but like She's older. She's older, yeah. and even if she was not tied to a stake, mm-hmm. tied to a stake and burning, and probably had been tortured, mm-hmm. she would still look like she had lived a full life. And so it's, I think it's kind of nice to really like camp her home. Like, hey, book readers, it's okay. Mm-hmm. They're not going to look ageless. That's mm-hmm. just a thing. Yeah, but it is interesting too, kind of thinking about that. This 
Aes Sedai against Moraine and I wonder if it's also a little bit to show sort of like the actual effects of having lost her hands too is that Moraine while she is not ageless in the way that you know I think they're supposed to to be right them as ageless she does have this kind of not quite of the world quality to her in the way For that Rosamund sure. Pike plays her and, and all of that. And with this Aes Sedai who is tied to the stake, who is about to be burned, who has her hands cut off, it, we haven't seen a bunch of Aes Sedai yet. You know, we got the scene before, but like the difference between this woman who looks very much in the world, yeah. affected by the world, worn down by the world, it's different from how Moraine is, even with her injury. Yeah. Um, and I think that distinction is really interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And so, I mean, we do have a little bit of that in the books. And, and I would say to the people that are also probably complaining about this scene that you don't need your hands to channel and all of those other things, there are a hundred explanations that you can have of her not being able to channel, not the least of which is we know from the books that Aes Sedai have trouble channeling without the hand movements that they need to make, and that's a big difference that they make with the wise ones. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there are other channelers in the world that do things very differently, and the Aes Sedai that is even mentioned really early on that you can often tell who taught them in the White Tower by the hand gestures that they make for mm. certain weaves. And so I think that a lot of, cha- basically all of channeling is how you fashion things in your mind and if she can't do that because she doesn't have hands uh, like I think that this was a you know you don't even need to go with uh more complicated explanations than than what's in the books yeah and I will say just as a a sort of visual marker of what in the show what we know of Aes Sedai and their power it is it's a pretty clear one (laughs) Yeah. yeah, it's a pretty clear one. It is. It is an easy marker for. So even if they decide, if the showrunners decide, no, we're just saying that I said I use the hand movements and like it's they channel through their hands. Like, just yeah. take it. Just yeah. take it. That's what we're doing because, and we've talked about it before, and this will I think be my mantra every time we're talking about what people on the internet who are real book fans are mad about in the show is like. You've got to ha- you've got to make it easy for viewers. Yeah, you've got yeah. to make it easy. And and I think it is early in the books, and so the only yeah. time that things change are like books four, five, six, seven is where you even start to get some of this. Yeah. And so like, yeah, I mean, easy now is easy now. I do think that you know it'll be interesting to see if if they maintain that as a very much not just an assumption that we've all made as viewers, but something that is actually true that hands equals channeling mm-hmm. is. Much later in the book, Rand loses one hand. Mm-hmm. And is that going to have any impact on his channeling? Or is it because he hopefully has trained differently that yeah. this won't be a problem? Yeah, right. Um, I think, what, what do we want to talk about next? Um, I do want to mention a couple of things. Like one of the big ones in this chase theme, like we do get the stone flashing that's directly from the books yes. know, that, that isn't at all a departure. I think if we're going to like talk about how we feel about departures and how we should also mention that when there isn't a departure like this, we just have a really like super true to the books. Mm-hmm. All, even the line, that last one was all you. Mm-hmm. Like That's straight 100%. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that my Taverna of the Week was Perrin. And part of the reason that I chose... Him, AIM, 
from the first book, I wish that they did more with the wolves. Like, I think that's just such an interesting story. And so part of the reason I chose him as my Tavarian of the Week is I hope that the show is going to do more with that show, with that storyline, and make it a little more robust and interesting and not quite so one note. Yes. It seems like they might be because they've introduced it really early. They have tied it in very early with, as you have said multiple times, Bree, the sort of parent feels like he is already monstrous and a monster. He has this guilt it's tied in with killing his wife. Now he's got this wolf thing going on. So it is both something that is in the books that I'm hoping they do better right. than the books. Absolutely. I'm, I, I'm really hoping for that. I'm hoping, but we already know because we, we've already watched the third episode that we don't get a super important character. I think, I don't yeah. know what they're going to do with uh, Elias Machera. However you pronounce that, yeah. the, the other dude who talks with wolves, uh, wolf brother, mm-hmm. um, and so they're doing some angle with the wolves. I'm super curious to where how this is going to work out. We did see a brief flash in one of the trailers or teasers that Perrin does get the golden eyes, mm-hmm. um, so we know that they are going to go that direction. Um, again. No idea how they're going to do the interface with the wolves because that's all in his head. And so my guess is we're going to have some sort of like voiceover that's wolf-like, but again, don't know. Um, I do appreciate that that they're leaning into Perrin's interfacing with the wolves and nobody, really nobody else is. And I also thought it was interesting that Lee didn't pick up on that, that like we only saw the wolves when Perrin was around, but yeah. maybe we'll get a l- little bit more into it in, in episode yeah. three when yeah. we do have some more wolf interaction. And I, I, I do kind of wonder if if I had not read the bo- books, would I be would I be picking up right. from this scene and even from what we get of the wolves in the next episode and Perrin talking about the wolves, would you actually pick up on the fact that right. there is like a parent connection. That there is yeah. a real connection being and now that I try to put myself in that headspace, I'm not sure that yeah. I would because it is just like a weird interaction in the right. woods with some wolves. Well, and also because we've already sort of, you know, potentially established with that brief comment with Tam at the beginning is like, wolves are not a good thing. Yeah. And so you almost might wonder, are these creatures of the Dark One that are like, hey, buddy. Yeah. You want to be yeah. on our side. I mean, right. I, you know, that's just complete speculation mm-hmm. of like how somebody might view it. But... Yeah. Wolves could go either way, right? Like, could be bad, they could be good. Not unlike the storyline, as we've <laughs> yeah, presented to us. Correct. Um, and so, also, like, I didn't love that they just, like, went up and licked his wound and then just wandered away. Like, what was the point of that? Like, what's going on there? It, it seemed a little forced to me. I liked that Lee, as a new viewer, wasn't like, well, that was just weird and I didn't like it. Yeah. I, I did not like that. I thought that was... I thought that was fine. I thought that that scene was meant to be confusing to Perrin, a little scary for Perrin, but it did not bother me that that was how that scene played out. I thought that was okay. Yeah, Um, and we've had a number of uh, discussions whether this is Dapple or Hopper. Um, Dapple was female in the books, Mm -hmm. and that is very definitely a male uh painted um i still think it might be dapple just because of the coat coloring yeah i mean um, i agree we'll we'll, we'll see exactly who this is unfortunately we know it's not burn we know it's not burn yeah um unfortunately in the x-ray 
it doesn't give us the uh, the actual <laughs> or uh, character names for the wolves, but maybe uh, that will change as we very learn disappointing more about them going forward. That will be really funny. That would be great. Right. I hope yeah. they but yeah. they haven't identified Bella, Aldeeb, or Mandarb. So oh. yes. What about the other horses, dear? I, I feel like you should be able to. So name them the all. other, so the only other one that I know of is Rands, which is Cloud, which is patently not the one that he's riding. Mm, exactly, because Cloud is a gray, and there are no grays. They're much. Prettier. No, that's not true. Aldeeb is a gray. Okay. And they're true to the stories in that fashion. Yes, um, but there are much prettier horses rather than like the the weird horses that they would get otherwise with Frisians because they're the best horses ever. So it, no, re- Frisians for are our for our <laughs> Let me sorry let me if we have completely turned you off. Uh, Bree is does have a veterinary degree, knows a lot about horses, has made they a career specialized. Out of horses, yes, <laughs> specifically um, is a horse vet. Yes, um, and I love. So I watch them all day, every day, and think about them, and learn about them, and treat them. So it's very hard for me to not think very deeply like watch them very critically sure which i completely understand i'm gonna have some things to say about the costuming in the same exactly. way in a moment but can you give us like in in real sort of explain like i'm five terms can you Oof. give us what kind of what you're thinking about in terms of the horses like what is coming up for you so i think a couple of things so one they've actually done a reasonable job so one or well two is not all of the horses are Frisians, which is actually a departure because very most fantasy shows and fantasy movies have Frisians. And Frisians are those big, black, heavy horses with lots of hair, very impressive. So they're a, a Frisian is a breed of horse. Yes, okay. correct. Um, and so they are sort of the prototypical movie horse. Okay. They're really kind of the pugs of the horse world. They have a lot of genetic problems. Oh, interesting. They're very yeah. inbred um, for a variety of reasons. Um, so they're actually kind of problematic to treat, mm-hmm. um, but they're very impressive, which is why they're in a lot of these movies. Um, however, the nice things about what they've done here is um, they've tried to make sure like Bella is not mm-hmm. a Frisian, which would have been very inappropriate because she's supposed to be just like a cart horse yeah, that like the outdoors have. Yeah, a, a shaggy brown mare. Yeah. Um, and so that is, you know, appropriate that she is not. And then Aldib is supposed to be a gray. It's not really described what she is other than small and gray. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. And then Mandarb is supposed to be a big, massive black stallion. So that also fits that he can be a Frisian. Sure. And they actually picked a very nice looking Frisian for him. Whereas the ugly donkey that matt is on that is that is the genetic defect line of regions like it's pretty ugly um i'm being maybe a little bit mean but like so anyway they've done (laughs) no i just i get really tired of seeing them in every single fancy you know fantasy world but anyway in general they've done well i think with the horses i am a little bit worried that we saw bella and the other horses that didn't get eaten by madashar they just ran off mm-hmm. and Bella is a through line character that will come back and is in all of the books all the way to book 14. So hopefully she comes back. Yeah. I think I will not be the only one that is unhappy if she does not. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we're fine. I think that Rafe, the showrunner, has paid attention to that. And I also think Sanderson, who 
has some like input on that also said like yeah. says these things and and I think he even gave a nod to the crazy people that uh <laughs> put Bella as a uh omnipotent character because she just sort of shows up all of the time and is unscathed through <laughs> hell and high water um and so actually here is I think a really good spot to talk about a deviation from the book yes um, because this is one of the major turning points of the books where mm-hmm. Moraine goes over to Bella and mm-hmm. goes to wash away her exhaustion and Bella's fine. Yes. And this is like what really cements uh, Rand as the dragon reborn and, and convinces Rand that he can channel and uh, like really like sets him off on this path where he's no longer really questioning that he's different and can channel and uh like there's no question in the books he was clearly the main character in the books leading up to this but this is where like the readers are a hundred percent sure basically that he is a male channeler and who moraine has picked out to be the dragon reborn and we don't have that scene. We don't have any indications of that. Like, there could be a possibility because Moraine doesn't get to all the horses that, like, it's still sort of there. Yeah. But it's it, it's just that whole interaction isn't there. And I think they needed to keep it out if they wanted to keep who the dragon Well, was. yeah, so a couple of things. Sorry, Brianna. Yeah, I mean, go for it. But I don't want to forget. But, like, a couple of things. One, I think one of the things they're trying to do is to keep it a mystery of who the dragon reborn is. Lee is obviously very invested in other people, (laughs) which is great. Um, But I think that he's trying to suss this out is indicative of how non-book readers are watching the show, which is like, it's, it is a mystery who is the dragon reborn. Right. The other thing is, and I could be remembering this entirely wrong, but I remember that that reveal is not in the moment. It comes much later in the book when Moraine reveals to Rand, like, I did not have to... I think it's a little bit later. I don't think it's much later in the book. Where I, I remember it in, like, the last half of the book. It is okay. definitely... That, they, it, yeah, there's definitely a pause. Yeah, so there is time between yeah. those two sort of happenings that mm-hmm. occur. Um, but it is, like, the other thing that it does well is that Bella being the first instance of Rand's channeling is because Rand is so worried. Like, it's it's all in its head, which mm-hmm. is the, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to see that in the TV right. um, show, but it's he's so worried about Egwene mm-hmm. getting out, and so he's like, please don't let Bella fail. Mm-hmm. Please right. don't let Bella fail. Mm-hmm. And Bella's the slowest of the horses. Because she's the little, right. and yeah. she's just and a cart horse. She's not built for that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and then the other thing that I don't know whether they're going to do, but Moraine knows that it's not a woman channeling because women can feel other women channeling. Women can sense other women being able mm-hmm. to channel. Mm-hmm. So there does seem to be some of that, but like it's not clear because Moraine would know that Nynaeve can channel. Mm-hmm. And Moraine would know that, that Egwene can channel. And that seems to be the case. Um, but like it is just not brought up at all, mm-hmm. which you know that Moraine knows that Wayne will be able to channel, and this starts even now. Like we don't have a background for that, and yeah. and so 
I think, I think again, this is playing into like the misdirection for who the Dragon Reborn is. Um, I don't. I think by the end of this season, we will know it's Rand. Yeah. Um, that will be revealed. Like, it, it's, it's not going to be a problem. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to be a problem. But I think that as we're seeing, Lee is more invested in the show because there is this mystery. Well, because I do wonder. And Rand is pretty terrible. Oh, Rand is. Um, but but I will say, and I did allude to this a little bit during the main part of the episode. I don't think it's spoilery, but. There is a massive shift in who is sort of the difficult one. Yes, Rand is pretty much always the person to stand up to Moraine, Mm -hmm. but Matt's usually the one that's distrustful of Moraine. Yes. And so... And part of that ends up having to do with, like, the... The the dagger. The dagger and the kind of infection from... And all of that. But, you know, I do wonder, too, if, like, from a casual viewer of the show point of view... Like, part of the reason to have this continued question for a while of who actually is the Dragon Reborn is that there wouldn't, if you got the answer that that was Rand right away, that you would become less interested in the storylines of these other characters. Potentially, right, yeah. Right. right. And so keep, get the viewer invested in these characters right. more while continuing this mystery, and then maybe you will have the confidence at some point to say, yes. Yeah. Because right. if Perrin's just a mopey boy, Who's going to care? It's, it's hard. And, yeah, it's hard. And we don't get in a uh, discussion of what Tavern are. Right. That they're these sort of center points of the pattern that, that pull other people along with them. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we just get a reference to that in, in the early part. And so that they all are revealed to be Tavern and are super important to the story. Like, this does a lot of the early lifting to tie them to yeah. Moraine without having to explain all what of the Tavarin things about Tavern are, you know, and yeah. which, which is, yeah. you know, maybe they'll do that as a bonus content at some point or something like right. that. Right, or it, figure it out tough. another way to kind of, kind of weave it in. But, because, well, because it's just, they've, they've had to do a lot to, like, Get the song about the Manethrin in. Get yeah. the story about Shadala Goth. And there's only so much of that exposition that you, can do. you can do. Yeah. yeah. And they've done a really good job in figure in picking their spots to do the exposition, but they are riding the edge on yes. what is like acceptable in a given episode. And they, and they joked about that. Yes. With, with Matt saying, yes. like you've said more than you've ever said mm-hmm. in your life, which yeah. also you know is a callback yes. to books. I will say one of the other really big departures that we didn't even mention in episode one, but I think is even more important now, is the person that does pretty much all of the exposition is Tom Marilyn. Yes. And we don't even see it until episode three, mm-hmm. and it's unclear like what the whole role is going to be. Yeah, I'm interested so, to see in episode four like what's going to yeah. happen. And so yeah. he was a major shepherding role to the boys, especially mm-hmm. Matt and Rand as they go off. Mm-hmm. He was a little bit more of like... He was the one that said, you know, the truth of the Aes I tell you is not always the one the, that you the hear. hear. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of these things that other characters are picking up that lifting, I think it rounds out a lot of the characters. I don't love that Tom isn't with them because I think that there, that there are things that we know he's going to end up doing it in the first season. And I feel like his motivation for doing that is 
is getting less and less the, the later he's introduced. Yeah, right. I do I do agree with that, but I do also understand why they couldn't really put him in Two Rivers. Because just how because, many people are going right. to have how many, Yes, yeah, and you already have to do all of this kind of... I, I, I think that to make the narrative of the Tavern and Moraine and Lan actually work, they need to be in... A tight group that's just yes. that's not like muddled by these other forces, yeah. right? And they haven't been to a spot that he would have been in yet, right. and so it makes sense that they had to yeah. introduce him to the in the third episode. I'm just saying, like, this is a departure that, yeah. like, I think they had to do based on like all the stuff that they had right. to fit in episodes one and one and two. I just, I think that a lot of things cascaded out weirdly from like the five minutes that they dedicated to the cold open in yeah. episode one. Yeah. And I think this is one of the things that they had to figure out when to introduce Tom and mm-hmm. it's a weird spot. Yeah, no, that's, I, I completely agree with that as well. I hope that they figure out in the next episode now that he, they have introduced him and he is clearly yeah. going with random Matt, like what, where are we going now? So I have a question for you, Sarah. Mm-hmm. So because you have not read beyond the third book, Right, like and the I first would say couple, that, like at this yeah, point, I probably read the like first the first book. solidly. Yeah. So, do you think there is any relationship between Tom and Moraine? Tom and Moraine, yes. Interesting. What kind okay. of relationship? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. I think they have history together. Okay. Um, and part of the reason that just my gut reaction to that is is that they are they both seem to be um, like traveling in a certain way that makes me think that their paths continue to kind of loop back and cross each mm-hmm. other. Interesting. Okay. Um, um, I don't really have like specific evidence to point to for yeah. that, but just like because you asking the question, like yeah. Also it's a leading other. question. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well yeah, Absolutely. it's a leading question. So, like, so yes, the answer is yes. So but. I mean to be spoiler to mm-hmm. you, which like whatever. But care. so at some point Moraine falls through a doorway to another world where essentially she doesn't come back for like five books or something. Oh interesting. Yeah. And do the we one see that her saves in, like do we follow her in that? No. No. She's oh, just she's gone. just she's gone. literally gone. Oh, okay. So I'm really excited to see how they deal with that yeah. in the TV show cuz yeah. like main character goodbye. Huh. Yeah. Um but Tom is the one who saves her and it's because Maureen leaves a letter for him that basically is like, "Hey, when you get this, mm-hmm. like you need I'm to come save me." Too. But like <laughs> yeah. it's because they are romantically linked. Oh, interesting. Okay. It is part of the pull or the drive, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, and so as soon as she gets rescued, they marry and like, da da da. Oh. We're we're a couple now. Interesting. So I'm, it's a whole thing that doesn't get super well set up yeah. to my my impression. Uh, but it's been a while since I've read those books. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, yeah. I just like I I I I guess I should say more that I don't like have evidence that they have any sort of history together, but it. It doesn't surprise me yeah. that yeah. they have... Like, and that's sort of yeah. where yeah. it falls out as like, oh, that's interesting, but uh, sure. Yeah. But okay. I wonder yeah. if they're going to push that, that a little harder. I will say that they have cast a very attractive man, Tom Merrill, <laughs> in this book, so that's fine. <laughs> that is fine. Uh, but so, the, uh, so to play off that, the other thing that I 
also feel like there there was almost nothing in the books for this that Lan and Nynaeve being a thing was just like really oh that got dropped into the book so fast that yeah. I was like and it, wait what yeah and it gets <laughs> whiplash and so like I wonder if Leo pick it up at all like I'm still not feeling anything there no I'm and not I hope... see I am I'm seeing a little bit of that like. Oh, that is true. In the third episode, yeah, they start... Yeah, you get a little more yeah. in the third episode. Man, in the books, it was like, this is the most stilted, like, weird, half Super flirting. awkward. Yeah. yeah. Then it's just there. Yeah, that was... So I hope I, they do. That's another one I hope they I do. I think but they can pull do, it off. I, yeah. I think they can. Yeah. And so I think that, like, in, in retrospect, because of how these books were written, like, it was sort of a trilogy, then two trilogies, and then got expanded, that, mm. you know... Oh, I don't think I realized that either. Okay. That there are ways that the show can help with what seems like a retcon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, we'll, we'll yeah. see where that goes. Yeah. But, but I do think that, you know, the relationships that are being set up will be interesting. And I think that, that even Ren and Egwene's, uh, like, interaction is a departure from the books, and... And I think it falls appropriately flat. And, and I yeah. hope that that some of this is they probably had to read the books, or at least the first couple books, and, mm-hmm. and are just like, oh, they're never going to get together. And so that might have influenced, like, they're, yeah, like, they're, they're young actors and, and having yeah. good chemistry. I mean, even with seasoned actors doesn't seem to be a thing. Yeah. So... You know, I like. Yeah. I, I don't know how much uh, stuff to put in this. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm real hopeful that that they stop pursuing this relatively soon, mm-hmm. and so then it's very clear to everybody that oh yeah, it's not just that they were pushing this because they want to make it a thing or it is a thing in the books, but these actors just don't have it. Yeah, it's that no, this is really it's, actually yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. yeah, it was never going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. You're just not meant for each other, um, as Min says. Again, so another thing to point out, we don't have a major character yet. She is going to be introduced. Who knows when? We never stopped in Berlin. We didn't see Min. A lot of people are already complaining about that. But, again, if we get introduced to Min's powers, we know who the Dragon Reborn is, mm-hmm. basically. Or, like... Yeah. We, we get a lot of that. And yeah. so we also didn't get introduced to Logan early. There are a lot of things that didn't happen early. So, you know, people are already complaining about that. There's only so many episodes. You need to, like, narrow things down and introduce characters slowly. Yeah. Because you can't have everything at once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah. So one thing I did love that was a callback to the books or foreshadowing for the books is... So Eamon um, touching Moraine and very possessively, like, mm-hmm. touching everything mm-hmm. and just, ooh, creepy. But it's just so cool because that that is something that he does to a later character, to Morghese, mm-hmm. essentially. Like, he, he rapes her and he controls everything that she does. And so it shows from the very first moment, basically, that that he's this kind of smarmy character. Yeah. And, and he feels he absolutely entitled. Yeah. Power. And yeah. I can't remember now, but I don't think... Does he turn out to be a dark friend? I don't remember No, he's now. not. He's, he's, just, he's just evil. He's just a he's different just a bad that's dude. so much more interesting than, yeah. like, yeah. when he turns out to be a dark friend. Like, that is much 
much more nuanced. Fortunately, Galad kills them, and then yeah. it's done. There is a spoiler. There are dark friends in, in the White Cloaks. I feel like sure. no one's going to be super surprised yeah. about that, given yeah. like, how they are. But I'm glad that it's not him, though, because yeah. like that sort of... I, I like the kind of factions within factions who actually yeah. have their own end game. They're not all being controlled by right. the dark yeah. one. Because like, that just becomes too simple. That's right. too easy. So I will say, I'm a little bit disappointed that we never got to see more death in Shadar Logoth. Mm. So I think mm-hmm. that that to me was a very cool part of the books. It was a very like embodiment of evil that was not the dark one's evil, but was right. evil. Mm-hmm. So when we are in Shadar Logoth, we have this embodiment of the fog, the, the death fog, which was fog and a little bit more complicated. I like the way that they departed. Yeah. I'm sure people are going to complain about not having more death. I'm sure, you know, and there are complaints about it, this being a departure that isn't fog. Um, but it works. It was super creepy. It was, really it was cool. super cool. Yeah. And this was a great way of putting mm-hmm. it on the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I wanted to talk about that difference a little bit because I think, like, A, and I, this is the bell that I'm ringing, like, what... What do you have to do to make something work better right, on the screen? Right. Then? Because I don't think that mist. It doesn't matter. Be, you can't yeah. make it move fast enough. You can't make it. You need to be able to see what's going on at the same time. But I loved the choice to make it this like mossy mm-hmm. kind of thing. I thought that was super like neat. spread of decay. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, so the one thing that did disappoint me is Matt just sort of like stumbles upon the dagger, and I think like the interaction with yeah. Mordeth of. Like, oh, you're searching for treasure, here's some treasure, mm-hmm. and, like, don't take anything that's offered was sort of... How uh, Lan put right. it, instead of don't, don't touch. touch. any. Well, don't touch anything was how Lan uh, uh, said it. In the books, it's sort of the other way around. Moraine leaves them there. Yeah. Lan is sort of like, I don't think we should do that. Moraine's mm-hmm. like, no, Trollocs aren't going to go there. Like, we can we'll be, be there safe, for a while. We'll be safe enough for yeah. a while. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I understand that shift. Like, I think it's okay... Um, I think it's a lot quicker and, and more mm-hmm. focused version of it. Um, but I do think that the Matt following directions, mm-hmm. because I, I think this shows like a little bit of gap in, in, in the books and Moraine's knowledge where it's just like, no, like you shouldn't take anything, mm-hmm. not just like don't take anything that's offered. And Matt sort of like, does that like well i'm gonna take something but like i didn't technically take it wasn't anything offered, offered. And, right and so like i think that was a really illuminating back and forth that they're mm-hmm. never gonna have yeah and it also like i think in the books because we didn't have anything filling out matt's character helped do that where this was just like okay now he has the ruby yep. down he needed to have yeah. it i don't think it was the best way to do it. no i don't either i wish that he had i wish that he had been led there by Something. Yeah. I feel like that would have been like or too like, complicated to show in the show. Yeah. Like the problem or is maybe that, a like, shadow. That's, yeah. yeah. That's running. Like a, introducing another sort of character for right. this like brief period of time. And then you have to explain who this character was. Like that took a long time right. in the books. But I do think that like him just wandering around and happening upon this thing was a little... I mean, I think you can read it into sort of that there there was a shadow... And that maybe, you know, he was exploring this area and sort of got maybe pushed or led mm-hmm. there. 
maybe subconsciously or consciously. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I wanted to point out is you do get the same whistling mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. in Padan Fane's intro. I did not Yes, that. That's really when cool. you see the little shadow okay. and just before it gets the dagger. So it, okay. which is just, it's really nice. It's a little callback There's to the books there, because yeah. Mordeth and Padan Fane eventually became, become the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. They sort of merge okay. and, and Padan Fane becomes a much bigger character. Mm -hmm. um, this is sort of the turning point of him becoming powerful. Okay. Not just like a dark ways. friend that's mm -hmm. maybe been tortured and mm -hmm. like maybe has undergone some trauma. Interesting. But also okay. now he's much more powerful. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, Any disappointed else? dark friend specifics? I, not specifics. I just keep, all the same. I keep teasing. Yeah. I mean, it all got because these episodes got released at yeah. once. It all got glommed together. Right. Um, I keep teasing that I'm going to talk about the costuming. I'm going to do that in the next episode, um, okay. partially because. When they get separated, you can kind of tease out like what's going on with their costuming. And you get a, a lot more right. costuming in terms of when they're at the end, yeah. the tinkers. Like yeah. you get a little bit more rather than just yeah. our main five. Yeah, and so I have, I have That's some fair. comments That's on fair. that. I actually think that um, Lee might want to talk about the costuming. Cool. Too, well. So we yeah. might put that. Because I mean, that's not part. spoilery. It's not yeah. spoilery, and he like because. In our trailer episode, I talked about it in relation to the Game of Thrones costuming. Mm -hmm. We also have House of, House of the Dragon coming out, and we've been getting like a lot of information on what they're doing with the costuming. So oh, cool. I think that like talking yeah. about all of that together, yeah, um, that'd be great. Sense. Cool. This has been great, guys. Been Absolutely fun. awesome. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.